The Wonderful World of Dark Lords. Report 15. Santa Cecilia. I arrived in Santa Cecilia a few days before their annual Day of the Dead celebration, and even though I knew from my research what to expect, it still presented an eerie sight. The town and most of the farmland supporting it were surrounded on all sides by a graveyard. Some of the tombstones were impeccably maintained, despite being centuries old. Others, so weather-worn I could no longer make out the names, huddled in the shadows of tremendous mausoleums that were larger than many a house for the living. Beyond the cemetery, stretching for miles, was what appeared to be an empty field, except that it, too, was impeccably maintained, the grass never growing past my ankles. Streets wove through the field precisely as they would through a city, creating blocks, courtyards, plazas, all without a building in sight. At sunset on the first day of the dead, I stood at the outskirts of the cemetery to see the marvel that the villagers promised me. I knew the beliefs of the townsfolk regarding the holiday, that their beloved dead would return to visit them for three days and three nights of the year, and I envied them their simple faith. In my experience, the only spirits who return to the living are to be feared, not cherished. Our loved ones may tell us that they will always be with us, even after death, but all too often, these promises are empty words. When the sun slipped below the horizon, however, I learned that Santa Cecilia's faith was well-placed. Before my eyes, a vibrant city materialized over the empty fields, its buildings dwarfing those of the village behind me. The once vacant streets were filled with laughing people, or what had once been people. These were the spirits of the dead, returning once a year to visit their loved ones. Seeing the splendor of their city, I thought at first that they were the true masters of the domain, but this was an illusion. As the living dance attendants on the dead to be welcomed and accepted in the afterlife, so too did the dead curry favor with the living to avoid being forgotten. And with this endless cycle of mutual need, there are those who will do whatever it takes to seize their moment and break free. Welcome to Wonderful World of Dark Lords. I'm Tom. I'm Rachel. And we're discussing how to convert Disney movies to Ravenloft domains of dread because we recognize an unfilled nerdy niche and decided to seize our moment. Along the way, we'll look at the Dark Lord, the domain itself, and some plot hooks and adaptation ideas to integrate the setting into your own campaign. Today's episode, Coco. Happy Halloween, happy October, yes, happy, happy spooky season! Spooky season, as it just kind of everyone agreed that it's called spooky season, mm-hmm. and everyone agreed it just sort of starts in mid-September now, which all good, all good. Or August, yeah. judging by... I. I might be dating things by mentioning this. I don't know, but, but I was on Threads. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if Threads is still going to be, you know, a thing it, anyone does. This is future Rachel here. It isn't. <laughs> but it was like July 25th. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly everyone's feed starts filling up with Halloween stuff. I saw uh, the Halloween packaging on candy at the grocery store last yes, time I went. So. I'm so excited. I haven't, I haven't made my, my pilgrimage to the, <laughs> uh, the hobby stores yet. Because they're, they're the ones who have Halloween stuff this early, but I'm so excited. But it is anyway, October, anyway. it is spooky season, and we have decided we're, we're to... We're recording this in August, but... <laughs> celebrate that spooky season, and celebrate that most spookiest and skeletonist of months <laughs> with Disney's most skeletonist movie, Coco. A movie centered around a holiday celebrated basically at the end of October, a movie centered around the idea of the going to the land of the dead, of a whole movie full of skeletons. Mm-hmm. It was a great choice for our second October episode. Yes. We knew this was going to be either our October or November episode, and we were thinking about it, and there's like, 
we couldn't really think of another like great right. Halloween movie to do other than Hocus Pocus, right. but that's you know going to be coming a little bit later because it's going to have some pretty important metaplot stuff, yes. presumably. So <laughs> we are going to be doing a pretty straightforward adaptation. We got some interesting ideas, I think, with adapting the story and adapting some of the metaphysics for mm-hmm. of the Land of the Dead for D&D and for Ravenloft in particular. I think hopefully we'll come up with a story in a setting that's going to give your players that Coco experience they've been cra- <laughs> they didn't know they wanted, but they sure do. I don't know if it'll make them cry, though. We'll yes, yes. They're not the full Coco experience. Yeah. <laughs> that's on you. <laughs> we can just give you the tools. You have, you're the one that has to use them to make your players cry. Yes. Now, one of the reasons we wanted to do Coco, not just because it's full of skeletons and mm-hmm. it is the, thus perfect for October, but it has also got a wonderful Dark Lord. A classic capital V villain, a just very charismatic, very engaging figure, but who really reveals a ruthlessness and is wonderfully loathsome by the end. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, go on YouTube. They premiered a De La Cruz, um, like, walk-around guy Mm -hmm. in Disney. And the, the prosthetic they did, the skull prosthetic, That's is really amazing. Good, yeah. And you can get a thing of him doing "Remember Me" in a minor key. Yeah, it's yeah, so spooky. Yeah, it's I've seen those YouTube videos that are like the ex villain song. Like this really feels like it's his villain song. Mm-hmm. And so I thought you meant for a minute if they hadn't seen Coco, they should go on YouTube and write who is the villain in Coco. So. <laughs> okay, if, you, if you haven't seen Coco, spoilers: yeah. the villain is Ernesto de la Cruz. Yeah, sorry, yeah. <laughs> but it came out. He's in not what, his great great grandfather. Twenty seventeen. He's a bad um, bad man. And uh, we're looking at De La Cruz, and he's a great villain, and we eventually kind of concluded he makes a great Dark Lord, but we have to dig into that a little bit. So we're going to talk about our idea of De La Cruz as a Dark Lord. We're going to talk a little bit about our idea of our slightly alternate version of the story of Coco, giving us this domain of Santa Cecilia in a section that we like to call... The Lord. Lord. In a land where love and memory are currency, the most universally celebrated ghosts are the most powerful, and none is more revered than Ernesto de la Cruz. A musician of singular talent, de la Cruz performed for commoners and kings during his lifetime and served at least one term as Meister Singer of Harmonia. His illustrious career was cut short during a homecoming concert at Santa Cecilia when a bell came loose and crushed him to death in the middle of a soaring F sharp. Given the unique qualities of Santa Cecilia, this did not mark the end of his career. Today, De La Cruz holds his annual Sunrise Spectacular on the Day of the Dead's third and final dawn, often debuting a new song to the adoring public. In the nights leading up to the concert, Santa Cecilia's dead compete alongside living musicians who have flocked from across the mists for a chance at a one-on-one masterclass with De La Cruz and a spot in the festival lineup. One would expect that such an extraordinary accomplishment would catapult the fortunate musician to fame and glory. However, more often than not, their careers are tepid at best, with perhaps a few appreciative followers in their hometowns. At this year's Sunrise Spectacular, the winner was a young man from Calicari, who was said to have made the warring siblings forget their hatred for one shining moment as they held one another and wept at the perfection of his music. His performance was... competent. I wondered at first whether he was unaccustomed to playing before such a large crowd, until I heard De La Cruz's new song, a piece which moved all of us to tears with its beauty, and which had distinctively Calicarian flourishes. 
So, you are here, you have presumably either seen Coco or gone on YouTube and searched for who is the villain of Coco. But either way, whether it is through watching the movie or watching a YouTube of a spooky guy at Disney World, you know that our villain is Ernesto de la Cruz, but we said we made him a Dark Lord. Rachel, what is a Dark Lord? Well, a Dark Lord is an evil being who commits some kind of act of ultimate darkness. And then the dark powers say, why, hello, new friend, we want to play with you forever. And so they pluck that being up and they put them in a domain that is a special hell tailor-made just for them. There are good Dark Lords. There are really not good Dark Lords. (laughs) So we've looked at the good ones and come up with the four qualities that really make them stand apart from the... Eric von Karkov's a lot. I'm sorry. We always come back to Eric von Karkov, yeah, but he's I feel, so feel he's a little so bad. Weird. Are we bullying? Are we bullies? Are we punching down? But like uh, that guy. That's, I'm sorry, Eric von Karkov. You were five great ideas for a Dark Lord <laughs> mashed into one person. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so. If you don't want to have an Eric von Karkov, mm-hmm. then you have a Strahd von Zarevich. We're going to look at those four qualities, discuss how they apply to Strahd, and then talk about how our version of Ernesto de la Cruz, and in a lot of ways, the a movie's lot of ways version of Ernesto version, de la yeah. Cruz, also has those qualities. So the first one is that act of ultimate darkness. They do a, a specific, really awful, evil thing. Uh, Strahd killed his brother because he wanted to get with his brother's fiance. The second quality is what they call in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft the Torment, because this is a Disney podcast. We call it They Got What They Wanted, They Lost What They Had. Strahd, he has his brother out of the way. He has eternal youth. He has everything that he needs in order to get together with Tityana, except that Tityana will never love him uh-huh. because he's Strahd. Also, yep. she's dead. Mm-hmm. And always will be. And always will be. Our third quality is that element of tragedy and relatability. They're not just evil for the sake of evil. There's something about them that makes us wince in sympathy. And in Strahd's case, unrequited love is awful. And then our fourth element is that the domain reflects the Dark Lord and their curse in some way. Strahd is the Dark Lord of Barovia, which is spooky vampire land. He's not the Dark Lord of Tempest. And... Part of what makes Barovia Barovia is the whole there are the frightened peasants and there's not really anyone there who's an equal to Strahd because part of his curse is that loneliness of being forever separated from Tatyana so that that loneliness is kind of writ large throughout Barovia. So for De La Cruz, uh, as you were listening, you probably even see, oh yeah, I can mm-hmm, see mm-hmm. a little bit of that in De La Cruz. Act of Ultimate Darkness. Yeah, right, obviously. <laughs> and this is one we're actually kind of adding we're modifying the timeline a little bit to add an act of ultimate darkness. You absolutely could do a version where Mm -hmm. you have that act of ultimate darkness where he kills Hector and steals his songs. That's awful. That's ultimate and dark. Yeah, he kills him right before he's about to go home. Like, he didn't need to kill him. Yeah, yeah. He could have just said, hey, can I, like, use these songs? Uh Like, holy monkey pants, De La Cruz. Or even, like let his family know that he died. Be like, oh, tragic news. No, he was just like, see ya. I just, I prefer it to be lost in the mists of history. And, like, he knew Hector had a wife. He knew Hector had a little girl, like. And that he loved them very much. So, yeah, that's pretty open. That's pretty dark. That could be it. But we want to have that idea of De La Cruz as this, like, world? I don't know if that's the right. Like, Ravenloft wide. Demiplane wide famous singer. That 
anyone that loves music in any of these domains has heard of Ernesto de la Cruz. Mm-hmm. He, he did he did his tour through Cardicus. Yeah, yeah. And Harco Lucas hates We will him. put a we pin in that. Put a put pin, a pin, in, pin in, in that. Harco yeah. Lucas and de la Cruz a, hate each other. <laughs> but yes, that he, he traveled all over Ravenloft, all over the domains, whether domains from the book, whether Disney domains, whether domains are homebrewing, he traveled all over, made his fame, made his fortune, was this legendary singer. So that means we want to have a different act of ultimate darkness because we can't have that happen if he's a domain lord. Mm-hmm. So to kind of mix a little of his actual death in the movie, mix kind of a version of Miguel and his story with Mo, he is preparing. It's it's you know he's world fame, world success, hugely wealthy, top of the top of the heap. He's he's performed for so many dark lords yes. and not gotten killed. Yep. That's how good he is. Yep, he, he made made Hyphenalisnia cry. Uh, <laughs> Bravo! <laughs> I will remember you. <laughs> and. This this boy, possibly named Miguel, approaches him and reveals that he actually is his, his illegitimate son. And the boy is just seeking, like, acknowledgement and maybe tutelage. And if you want to go full Miguel, maybe the boy himself has become a musician and kind of seeking go under his wing. But De La Cruz is worried this is going to hurt his reputation. And so he kills him. You could also do, if you wanted to see a little bit closer to the to the way things go in the movie, maybe he does take this Miguel figure under mm-hmm. his wing, and he's kind of like, you know, oh, yeah, like, you know, this is De La Cruzito, or whatever they're right. calling it. And, but then Miguel gets a little bit too close to the truth, right. like, figures out that the songs weren't his, and he kills him from there. For whatever reason, he kills Miguel. So that's our act of ultimate darkness. And it plays out, he kills his son, he goes on stage, and... The son's kind of dying curse mm-hmm. causes a, a giant prop bell to crush him. <laughs> he dies. His body is brought back to his home village of Santa Cecilia. That he is the most famous son of that village. He is the one person from that village that is world famous. And to, as he's like interred, and all the people celebrate this amazing person, the mists rise up, and Santa Cecilia becomes his domain. And as it says in one of the plaques in Santa Cecilia, he is remembered forever. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about Santa Cecilia a little bit more. This is one of those where, like, in order to go through sort of point by point with the four elements, we're kind of having to get into a lot of what we're doing with right. the domain. and Because we can't just have it be that he's in the land of the dead, not really influencing anything, right. unless you steal something from the dead and then get to go visit him. That's very specific. It's, it's really specific, yes. And... If you were listening, like, he's dead. Mm-hmm. So how do we make him the Dark Lord? And you could be a ghost, but... Mm-hmm. We were we were actually thinking there's... there's we'll, we'll talk about this with incorporating. There's mm-hmm. a kind of vampire that would have worked really well that we were looking at for a while. But you know what? Your players, they want the full cocoa. Mm-hmm. They don't want to go to dumb human Santa Cecilia and to dumb human houses. They want to go to... one ghost. <laughs> the land of the dead. They want whole giant Skeletropolis. Mm-hmm. And so that's what our domain is. And I said, we'll talk more in a minute, but basically that in Santa Cecilia, on this day of the dead festival, the world of the living and the world of the dead intersect. And like, everyone knows this. This is part of life there. Everyone's like, comfortable with this. This is a very important part of your family mm-hmm. existence, your family life, your family traditions are this day of the dead when the ancestors literally like stop by to visit. And he is there as king ghost of ghost town (laughs) he is the most famous the wealthiest the most powerful the most important ghost 
in the land of the dead in Santa Cecilia. And every day of the dead, he performs this sunrise spectacular. He kind of closes out the festival performing this sunrise spectacular songs. And here, since there's actually the crossover of Living the Dead, the sunrise spectacular is a concert for both the living and the dead. And yeah. you've got this whole giant, like, you know, arena filled with ghostly great-granddad uh, <laughs> sitting yeah. next to There's his, like the his human... A quarter of the people in the arena are living humans, and the rest are all mm -hmm. these, like, generations of ancestors enjoying De La Cruz's songs. So, our torment, and it was hard because he is... Torment isn't the word for he's his... He's living his best He's living his best life. life. He's... Yeah. But that he does have that, that kind of itch in the brain of that fear of discovery and the loss of reputation. That he has the line, my reputation is very important to me. He's willing to do incredibly horrible, ruthless things to protect his reputation. And that tells us he has something resembling a torment, which is he is he is afraid of the loss of reputation. Mm -hmm. And we want to make that something more present. It's not just about this one murder he did. Like, <laughs> one little murder. One little murder a couple decades ago. Who even remembers who killed who? <laughs> but that... In order to perform the Sunrise Spectacular, part of the torment is that his talent kind of drains away. That he's losing his talent, he can't write new songs on his own, and even if he just wanted to play the hits, eventually his talent would fade away. Because the thing with De La Cruz, the kind of the keystone to unlocking this Dark Lord and his torment, is he is a fraud... And he knows he's a fraud, mm -hmm. but he doesn't care that he's yes. a fraud. So we couldn't have that be the root of his torment. Right. But he does care that no one knows he's yes. a fraud. So we had to keep the treadmill going. We had yes. to have it be that he's constantly having to steal more songs from other people mm -hmm. in order to you know, keep things going, and that constantly ramps up the risk of discovery. Yeah, yeah, so he doesn't just have the one murder and the one dark secret, <laughs> or even the two dark secrets in kind of our story, he has this constant draining of other people's talent, stealing of their songs, and as Rachel said, it's the treadmill. Mm -hmm. And we're finding to a great Dark Lord torment is a kind of a treadmill. Yes. That, you know, Strahd's at Strahd, great example. He's on the Tatiana treadmill. Mm -hmm. He is on the Tatiana treadmill. And he's never going to get off. <laughs> and the same way, like, De La Cruz has to run to stay in place in order to preserve his reputation. He has to steal other people's talent, other people's songs. But every time he does that, he's that closer he's one day one incident closer to being exposed as a fraud mm -hmm. boom dark lord treadmill yes and that also gives you a lot of potential hooks mm -hmm. if you have this idea that he's been doing this for like literally decades he's been stealing people's songs and he's been stealing people's talent and he's been uh, you know manipulating and deceiving other people to maintain his reputation and that gives you a ton of possible ways to get your pcs on now yes so that was a lot for Torment, but once we kind of had to explain the whole hook of our setting. Element of Tragedy Relatability is easier. On the one hand, this is not a character that I think the average person is going to feel that kind of twinge of sympathy. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of what makes him a great villain is he's so hateable. But there is that fundamental, like, the imposter syndrome is a little bit of universality of protecting the reputation. Mm -hmm. And if you have this kind of mask that the world knows of this like good and upstanding person, but maybe you feel like that's not the real you and you're willing to 
cover that up. And really, this is going to be more of an element of tragedy relatability to people that I think are specifically like artists, maybe. Yeah. There's even like the big sort of, you know, daydream things that a lot of people have of, oh, if only I could go back in time to right. 2000 whatever and write Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they look like basically yeah. murder. Uh-huh. Like, so we can we can understand that impulse. Like, right. we wouldn't kill Suzanne Collins to do it. I hope, mm-hmm. but th- there's there is that impulse of I want to have that fame without doing the work. Yeah, for it. yeah, yeah. And again, I, th- I think like all, all all artistic types listening, maybe you're better people than me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you've had that thought cross your mind at least once. And there's, there is a core of element of tragedy of relatability, I think, in the movie, and then he is the kind of dark mirror of Miguel. Yes. That, like, we like Miguel, we really understand Miguel's desire to prove himself as a musician, to make his name, to be famous. Miguel has this kind of dream of being a, a great musician, being famous, being celebrated like De La Cruz, and we don't see anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Like, we, in the start of the movie, are completely on board with Miguel's dream, and then De La Cruz is showing the sort of dark side of that dream, of mm-hmm. doing anything to be famous, and anything he, to be a great musician. And even with Miguel, you do have the, you know, the crossing moral lines. Yes. And it is the, the understandable moral lines right. in Miguel's case because his family is being controlling. But at the same time, he's also, you know, he's rejecting their love. He's rejecting, you know, I don't care about the stupid ofrenda. Mm-hmm. He's, he's like going over the top with it in a, in a tween way. Right, yeah. And so we can see how this could evolve into him being, you know, again, he doesn't care about anything but music. He doesn't care about anything but fame. He doesn't mm-hmm. care about people in the, like De La Cruz. And so, yeah, this is not necessarily one of the ones that's really going to punch your players in the heart, mm-hmm. but I feel like there's going to be at least a little bit of the, like, okay, this guy has a motivation. It's He's more, not just, as Rachel said, evil for the sake of evil. It's more Gaston than Peter yes, Pan, yes. but there's something there. So. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, uh, Domain Reflects the Dark Lord. That's, they're skeletons. They're He's skeletons. He's a skeleton. And even that we're going to dig into this more, as I've said, first off, that music is still a huge thing. You know, we kind of have in the movie, Santa Cecilia is very much in De La Cruz's image. Mm-hmm. Like, it very much is Santa Cecilia, home of Ernesto De La Cruz, really huge center of musical mm-hmm. performance. And you have this talent show every day of the dead and people come from like all over Mexico to try and be discovered like De La Cruz was. Mm-hmm. It's very much already in his image. And then even with the story of the Land of the Dead in the movie, there's that idea of being remembered. Yes. That's the nice thing is we don't have to do too much to adapt to make it reflect him because it's a well-made movie. So you have that theme that's so core to everything with the Land of the Dead, and he expresses that theme. Mm -hmm. So as as a society, as a domain, where being remembered and how you are remembered is so important that immediately then makes it a reflection of De La Cruz. So for De La Cruz himself, this was a little tricky in terms of trying to give you a mechanical suggestion Mm -hmm. because he's a ghost and there is a ghost already, but no, he isn't. He's not a music ghost. You don't interact. You're not going to interact with De La Cruz in the way that a D&D party would interact with like the ghost from the monster manual. So, and this will be all be, these kind of powers and everything will be on the, the free domain write-up, which is yeah, in, the, in the show notes. So, we're doing the Bard from Mordenkainen's, which Bard, obviously, right? right? Like, that would be your first choice, would be Bard. Mm-hmm. 
but with the special qualities and actions of a ghost. Because that's the great thing is you can look at the ghost stat block and he doesn't need like spectral touch and Ooh. screaming, whatever. It can just be here are a couple of traits that a ghost has and you just take those traits and plug them onto the bard stat block. So it was not going to be that hard to come up with a basic stat block for De La Cruz. And we are also imagining his Dark Lordness and his position gives him a couple of special abilities, one of which we've kind of already hinted at that's sort of very core to the torment. Yeah, because we wanted it to be that he's not just kind of doing what he did to Hector, just kind of like stealing their songs the way a normal mm. person would steal right, their songs. Yeah. Because the issue there is that, well, if they can tell that he did it after they right, died, yeah. then why don't they? So we, we needed to go a little bit deeper than that. And so rather than have it be he steals the songs that they wrote, as in he like steals the sheet music and goes and plays it, Mm -hmm. he steals their music the way Ursula steals Ariel's music. Uh... (laughs) So with De La Cruz, he can drain charisma from a target. If you're performing, he can make a charisma attack. They get a will save unless they're, like, willingly performing the song for him. Right. So if they're going and performing for him to get into the Sunrise Spectacular, yes. then congratulations, you just you gave up your save. get a saving save. throw, yeah. When, so when he makes that successful charisma attack, he drains the charisma from them, and he gets to take that and add that to his performance check. And not only does the victim lose that charisma, they also forget that they ever wrote that song. Mm-hmm. And they think that it's De La Cruz's song. Mm-hmm. So, you know, who when they when they go and they do their auditions the way that we know, you know, Miguel was going and singing yeah, exactly. then the the song that they do for the big like audition, they're encouraged to not play their original songs right, right. for that. Because you know, you don't wanna like give it away. You want mm-hmm. it to be, you know, you want it to be a surprise. And then they get to go and you know, the finalists get to go and perform their original songs for De La Cruz. Have like one of those private tutoring mm-hmm. sessions with mm-hmm. him. And he just plucks that bad boy right out of them. And then if they're lucky, then they'll still have like one or two less good songs yeah, if they yeah. remember that they can perform as his warm-up act. And then he'll go and he'll perform the Remember Me that they wrote. And they'll think it's the best thing that they've ever mm-hmm. heard that clearly De La Cruz wrote and not them. And De La Cruz, the Sunrise Spectacular, premieres his new song. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, man, De La Cruz has still got it, baby. Yeah. That song's amazing. <laughs> And then we also have kind of the, the more charisma he takes. We're going to get into this a little bit more in the land when we're talking about the different kinds of ghosts that are on his hand to Cecilia. But that as he takes more charisma, he kind of is taking more and more of the memories. Mm-hmm. So that's how we're having it be that even though Hector could theoretically go to anyone and tell them that De La Cruz stole his music, he's not just stuck in the land of the dead. He can't. He can barely remember anything. He remembers yeah, yeah. his Coco, yeah. and he wants to see her, and that's really all that he remembers. Yeah, because De La Cruz has stolen so many of his memories by this point. And that even kind of makes sense. We're gonna go into this a little more later. He said again <laughs> for the like eighth time, but it makes sense that he's sort of taking the emotions and the memories connected with the songs. That mm-hmm. the song is this expression of your inner self. You're taking the song away. You're kind of draining the inner self as well. Mm-hmm. But we need to have that Dark Lord treadmill. Yeah, we do. So, as we mentioned, he gets that drained charisma. It adds to his perform check. But every time he performs, his bonus goes down. Mm-hmm. So he'll go, he'll perform with the Sunrise Spectacular, and he'll lose a point from his perform bonus. Mm-hmm. 
And then, you know, next time he's, like, kind of hanging out singing at a party, the way he's yeah, singing yeah. with Miguel, and uh, the, the, kind of the warmth of the sort of spectacular, and he loses another point from his perform bonus. So we're continuing with the Dark Lord treadmill that even though he might have a giant backlog of songs and not need a seal anymore, he still has to be taking charisma right, from people. Right. Because otherwise, he's gonna get to the point where his perform is like a negative number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what's that going to do to his reputation? Yeah, yeah. De La Cruz bombs. (laughs) And this is, I love this as a Dark Lord treadmill because the the beauty of a Dark Lord treadmill is you could get off. Mm -hmm. Like Strahd could read he's just not that into you and (laughs) turn his life around. But no, he can't because he's Strahd. Mm -hmm. Like if he could do that, he wouldn't be Strahd. But he could. And De La Cruz, if he just like retired, Mm -hmm. if he just said... I'm done with public life. I'm done with performing. He could just be done. Like, he would never need to do anything shady again. And he could just still live coasting on his offerings and his past hits. But that's not De La Cruz. Like, he has to be the center of attention. He has to be the center of this, like, social whirlwind. Throwing these huge elaborate parties that are a social event in the land of the dead. And he has to perform. Like, you know this is the kind of guy that you, any kind of social event... People would be asking him to perform, and he'd be like, "Oh no, no, no! I couldn't, I couldn't! Oh, look, a guitar! If you insist! Oh, I brought my guitar! What a good, what a stroke of luck! I just wanted to show people, if you insist, that yeah, he cannot be the center of the world without performing, mm-hmm. and he cannot maintain that performance in our version without that steady draining of other people's talent." Yeah. So, on a more domestic, down-to-earth <laughs> note, he also has lots of goons. He does. I'm probably going to call this power in the write-up security. And <laughs> That he just, he has lots of goons who work for him. This is not so much a power as much as it is a being really rich and powerful. Yeah. But you know what? In fighting adventurers or Miguel... Or the Rivera family, having lots of goons is helpful. And indeed, in real life, yes. being really rich and powerful is a superpower. It is indeed. Just as Batman. And also kind of domestically and with real life, that he has this great fame and reputation. The default per NPC, unless they specifically like kind of are a Miguel in the later part of the movie, they know he's up to no good. Or the, if they are a Hector. Yeah. The average person in the Land of the Dead or the Land of the Living in Santa Cecilia or the average visitor to Santa Cecilia is going to trust De La Cruz, believe he's an amazing person, believe he's a hero, believe he's just this, like, you know, pride of his people, that he is this model of fame and glory and is going to be friendlyly disposed to him. Yeah. Hector can't remember why he hates De La Cruz, but he knows he does. And then Rachel, you come up with a very good thing for the final power that all Dark Lords have, except Prince John. Except Prince John. And that is closing the borders. So with closing the borders, we actually, this is one of those like Maleficent where we actually see it happen in the movie. Yes, we do. Because Very convenient for us. Indeed. So when Hector is trying to run across the bridge to see Coco, even though his picture's not on the ofrenda, he has the whole, like, falling through the Marigold Bridge. Like, it starts, it's tr- basically turning into quicksand, mm-hmm. and he's, he's only able to get so far, and then he gets stuck. That. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's, yes. There's, like, the borders of Santa Cecilia, that it's like this field of marigolds all around the border mm-hmm. of Santa Cecilia, like, even in... 
mundane and non-day of the dead times. Mm-hmm. It's got this beautiful marigold border all around it, and the marigolds are always blooming. And as you're kind of going through them, then you're just wading and wading and sinking and sinking into them. And you have to turn around and go back because mm-hmm. you're stuck. And so love that we have that. Love that we have the closing the borders. And that's going to give you a nice, flavorful closing the borders. Which is mist and you can't go because mist, like in the <laughs> others. So we mentioned the write-up, and as always, we are going to be having a write-up of the domain. We are going to be, maybe with some names changed, (laughs) now that that we've started having our domain write-ups be the free title of the week, which is awesome. Yeah, thank you if you're you're a listener. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) But it does mean that we don't want too much attention to be drawn to. (laughs) So, but it'll be a free write-up. It'll be in the style of... Venrickton's Guide to Ravenloft, right up of those domains. It'll have a section where we talk about De La Cruz. So we'll include as all of those domain write-ups in Venrickton's Guide include the role-playing trait, ideal bond, and flaw. It has those for all the Dark Lords, and it gives them as quotes. Now, of course, we want to continue that pattern, so we have that intellectual challenge of trying to find quotes that express those things. Quotes that would guide the GM who's running Santa Cecilia as a domain how to roleplay Ernesto de la Cruz. And this is one where it's very similar to last month's episode, which you should listen to if you haven't yet. <laughs> and that was with Toy Story 3 and with Lotso. Much like with Lotso, most of the time we're with de la Cruz, it's the mask. It's the act. Mm-hmm. We really only have two scenes where we really get the authentic De La Cruz. Where they're very fruitful scenes, I think I would be able to come up with some quotes. Mm -hmm. So we are going to, we each prepared our sets because it is a very small selection to choose from. We each prepared our sets of quotes and we're going to go through and go through them and decide which ones we want to use in the official write-up for the role-playing trait, ideal bond and flaw. So I've been talking a bunch. Rachel, Mm -hmm. why don't you start us off? Okay, so I had, for for, for the trait, it actually is when he's in schmooze mode, but I feel like that's helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's the rest of the world may follow the rules, but I must follow my heart. Mm. And that's, not only is it in schmooze mode, but it's also got the dark side to it. That is very yeah. good. That is really good. That is really good for that. And I had, I am Ernesto de la Cruz, the greatest musician of all time. Mm. So I think I liking yours because it has that whole... This is more dramatic statement, more like villain monologue statement. <laughs> it's from a villain monologue. And I really do think, once again, the way he's going to role play with your PCs, the way he's going to interact with those PCs is going to be in schmooze mode. It's going mm-hmm. to be very charming, very like artistically gifted, very kind and wise. Once again, but it has that dark edge. And if you know then you can see some of these seemingly innocuous statements about mm-hmm. following your heart can have an extremely dark edge. So, yeah. L- Lots of Dark Lords follow their hearts. Lots of Dark Lords do follow their heart. <laughs> Instead of certain rules about who your brother's fiancé <laughs> should marry. Yes, indeed. Or if it is okay or not okay to murder people. <laughs> okay, so what about your ideal? This is one I feel like we're going to be orbiting the same star here. The ideal was tricky because both the ideal and the flaw were yeah. coming back to that seizure moment. Seizure moment. Yeah, yeah, it has to be seizure moment. Yeah. So, because that's that's both his ideal and his flaw. Yes, exactly. So, I had I had two possibilities for the ideal. And one was, success doesn't come for free, Miguel. You have to be willing to do whatever it takes to seize your moment. moment. 
And that, you know, once right, again, yeah. in context, that's horrible. Right. But by itself, that's a very, you know, Positive. live, Yay. laugh, love, like you can have that. The other one that I had so that we don't have the exact phrase, seizure moment coming up right, in some yeah, places, yeah. was no one was going to hand me my future. It was up to me to reach for my dream, grab it tight, and make it come true. So that's what I did for the ideal. Okay. Yeah. No one's going to hand my future. It's so up to me can, to reach for my that. dream, grab it tight, and make it come true. Mm-hmm. And then... Because, yeah, it's the same idea. And what's mm-hmm. really interesting as, like, a character exploration, that his ideal and his flaw are kind of the same thing. Yeah. Just the same idea, just rephrased. Mm-hmm. And the ideal, I like this one because this is, you know, it's it's in the opening and he's giving the interview. Mm-hmm. So this is very much how he would describe this. This is how he would justify everything he did. Mm-hmm. And the very... You have to reach for your dreams. You have to seize your moment. You have to do whatever it takes to get on top, but in that kind of nicest way possible. Yes. And so cool. We both had that for ideas. Right. So. I, I even like the grab it tight and make it come true. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I'm 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 there. He made it. Come I made true. it come true. I have seized my moment, mm-hmm. he and I will into being, continue yeah. to be clutching that moment. <laughs> I have to literally for my, my cold, cold dead, dead fingers. fingers. Yes. <laughs> so cool. That works for ideal. And then we may as well jump ahead to flaw because we're mm-hmm. saying that this yeah. is kind of the two sides of the same thing. And once again, my flaw is basically the same bit, but from a slightly different variant of the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And it was, I am the one who is willing to do what it takes to seize my moment, whatever it takes. If, 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 if you just heard the finger snap, <laughs> listeners, it was because I, I'm doing finger snaps and trying to thumbs up because that was also my flaw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because just that's what it comes down to, is although he's, I'm willing, his flaw is, he's willing to do what it takes to seize his moment, whatever, whatever it, it takes. takes, and that's everything, and every bad thing he's going to mm-hmm. do to, in interactions with your story and your PCs is going to be because it's what it, is, what it takes to seize his moment. Yes. Or in this case, to hold on to his moment. <laughs> so then finally, we have Bond. I had two possibilities for uh-huh. Bond. I have... I've worked too hard, Hector. Too hard to let him destroy everything. Oh, yeah. I looked at that really hard. Or my reputation is uh, <laughs> very important to me. Rachel glanced at the screen and smiled because that's mine. So. <laughs> but yeah, this is so perfect. Mm-hmm. I only reason I didn't go for the Hector one is because it's more circumstantial. Right. Or I think that my reputation is uh, very important to me. It's like it, it covers more things. Yeah. And it's, it's the same thing because yeah. the destroying everything is the thing he's destroying is his yeah, reputation. Exactly. So. Yeah. That that's what matters. And mm-hmm. even more than anything else, even more than like the mansion and mm-hmm. the stuff and the wealth is, is reputation. Yeah. That he's Ernesto de la Cruz, the greatest singer of all time. So, wow. Wow. When we said there was a <laughs> limited selection of quotes, we were not at all exaggerating. There is, yeah. Rachel had two and a bunch of them and mine was one. I was one of them. <laughs> so Except for the one where we had trait. Yeah. Trait. yeah. And then... We were both like, oh, that's a good one. She's like, oh, that's a good one. Like, I think yours is a little better because it's more charming. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, that was easy. They think that's the fastest we've yeah, right. through those. <laughs> Only they were all this easy. So, we talked about Ernesto de la Cruz, our Dark Lord, and we mentioned, like, multiple times. <laughs> we're going to come back to something in a minute. Because we could not talk about De La Cruz, we could not talk about our idea of his torment, of his current situation, without talking a little bit about our imagining of Santa Cecilia and the relationship between the world of the living and the world of the dead. 
But now that we've talked about an estimate of the cruise, we've completed that part of the domain write-up, we can now say, you no longer have to wait, and we can get into a much more in-depth discussion, hopefully answering any lingering questions you may have about our vision of this very unique domain, in a section that we like to call... The Land. The Land. Unlike the undead in every other domain I have visited or heard of, the ghosts in Santa Cecilia are desperate for the acclaim of the living. Their very existence depends on being remembered. When the living begin to forget them, their minds fade, leaving them with only a few desperate memories, facts, or experiences that they reiterate again and again. While in Santa Cecilia, I saw ghosts who were frantic to see loved ones whom they believed to be alive, but who had joined them in the City of the Dead decades before, unrecognized by their own frail ancestor. Others succeeded on performing a certain song, in Santa Cecilia, of course their minds returned to music, or on mechanically going through the motions of the single day that they remembered, like a wind-up automaton, holding conversations with loved ones only they could see, or dancing on a street that they believed to be a crowded ballroom. Eventually, when all memory of them has faded among the living, the ghosts themselves vanish. Some say they truly die at that time. Others say they transcend to whatever lies beyond. Of course, if they do ascend, they would be unable to return to their loved ones even if they wished to do so, and any hope for their return would be folly. Because of this, everyone in Santa Cecilia knows that their eternal existence depends upon being remembered, most often by their families and community. This leads to tremendous pressure toward conformity, as any black sheep, or occasionally even grey sheep, may be banished from the family's collective memory and forgotten within a few generations. Some Santa Cecilians, chafing under this control, decide that they would rather be remembered by the world than by their families, and strive for fame, a path exemplified by De La Cruz, who has no living relatives that I could find, but remains the best-known figure in the city, living or dead. Of course, De La Cruz is not merely remembered, but revered. The people of Santa Cecilia leave offerings for their dead, which the ghosts are able to physically consume for sustenance, and the beloved De La Cruz never goes hungry. Other spirits, while well-remembered, are not so beloved, and this shows an unfortunate side effect of Santa Cecilia's afterlife. Notorious murderers and criminals are remembered here just as they would be anywhere else, granting them more power than the average ghost, but they have no offerings and they crave them. I have heard of many domains where caravans were beset by bandits, but Santa Cecilia is the first where they were attacked by ruthless and ravenous spirits. So we want to have Santa Cecilia. We want to have De La Cruz. As we mentioned, he could just be a ghost, but that's boring. Mm -hmm. And honestly, we don't just want De La Cruz, we want Skeleton Town. Yes. Like, that's what you want. Yeah, if, you're, if you say, we're going to play Coco, and then it's just like a bunch of living people in yes. Esther De La Cruz. We are imagining the village of Santa Cecilia is maybe before the domain, maybe before it went to Ravenloft it was like this, maybe not. Everyone remembers it being this way forever. But, you know, that that and red hair will get you bitten by straw. <laughs> <laughs> but... As far as everyone remembers, it's always been this way. Santa Cecilia is, at this point, this unique overlap with the border ethereal. So whenever someone dies, either someone in Santa Cecilia or someone from Santa Cecilia, the exact details can kind of be up. The exact, like, boundaries of who is a ghost there can be up to you mm -hmm. and how you want to interpret it and what's best for your story. But basically, when someone from Santa Cecilia dies, 
then their spirit manifests in the underworld. And that is just this huge city that's in the border ethereal, overlapping, like in that same that same border ethereal where the village itself is. And on the Day of the Dead, the two the festival, which we're imagining being three days, because that's good we'll talk about this a little more in a minute that's good like dramatic timing stuff one day is not very much for your pcs mm-hmm, <laughs> one yeah. long rest yeah yeah this like lets you do more complex stories so we're imagining there's this three-day festival it's days of the dead really <laughs> but we're going to keep saying day of the dead that the two realms overlap and the underworld city appears among the village and the living and the dead can cross between worlds with the help of the marigold flowers, like with those flowers. So it's sort of like Coco, but like everyone's Miguel. Mm-hmm. And the dead come in the world of the living, the living come in the world of the dead, the village and the city of the dead basically completely coexist next to each other. You know, that you have these huge, like the end of Coco, you have these huge feasts for the extended family and all the ancestors come and dance and laugh and everybody's happy, ex- except they actually can see the ancestors there. <laughs> Everyone can see the skeletons there. And we can even have events like the living residents can come into the city of the dead for things like the sunrise spectacular mm-hmm. that that's, or they can come visit, you know, other things like maybe very important people in the living could come to De La Cruz's party. So on the one hand, there is no mystery in Santa Cecilia de- in death. Like, you know exactly what's going to happen. You <laughs> objectively know what's going to happen, which is you're going to wake up in the world of the dead and heck you have visited the world of the dead throughout your life on the day of the dead festival (laughs) just now you're a skeleton but you're listening to a raven love podcast that's probably what you've always wanted yeah right (laughs) but there are two main concerns the dead have and because they're objectively there because they're part of your life especially on the day of the dead the living have this sense of intense obligation to the dead and those two concerns the dead have are memory and reputation so we're taking that from Coco, because it's a good metaphor, the idea of final death, that when you are forgotten in the world of the living, you fade away. And no one knows why this is, like what's going to happen to you. No one knows, is this oblivion? Is this transcendence? Is this like a journey to the, you know, proper Ravenloft underworld? <laughs> no one knows. They just know that your, your skeleton isn't there anymore. And that's really terrifying to people that know exactly what happens when you die. Tom is thinking to bring in so much of his religion major background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a very happy Tom right now. So as long as you're remembered by the living, you exist. We're taking some stuff that's sort of implied that I think Mm -hmm. is pretty implied in the movie, the clearer and more widespread the memories are, the stronger and more vital the spirit. So if you have maybe like one person very faintly remembering you, like sort of Hector at the beginning of the movie, then you are this very, you know, feral hobo Hector. (laughs) And, but if you're something like De La Cruz or even like Mama Imelda, then you're like very vital. You're very clear, you're very present, your mind is very clear, and you have a lot of just vitality and a lot of presence. My fellow Ravenloft grognars, if you're sitting there thinking, it sounds like the strength of the living's memories would be linked to the magnitude of the ghost. Mm -hmm. We're going to get to that. (laughs) And an easy way to do this in like a 5e type rule set is just using the different sort of ghosty type Mm -hmm. monsters and just having it be whether you're like a, you know, CL2 specter or CL5 ghost Mm -hmm. is 
how strong are you? Yeah. Someone like Mama Imelda is a CL5 ghost. Whereas someone more like Hector at the beginning of the thing might be like a, a CL1 specter. And Rachel, doesn't this give us some potential encounter possibilities? It absolutely does. Woo! One of the things that was exciting here was that with some of kind of the creepier undercurrents Uh of Coco that are kind of under the surface, it let us have some neat ghost encounters that aren't directly related to the Mm -hmm, Cruz, which, you know, we don't always get in these domains. We're excited that we got some of these. When we first saw Coco, dear listeners, I know this is like animation nerd blasphemy, but the first time we saw Coco, we actually didn't like it. Because of some of the creepy undertones we're getting yeah, into. Yeah, yeah. With, like, you know, there's a class system yeah, that's and just, a caste system. There's a and, shanty town ah, in the underworld. That's, just, that's horrifying. So once we kind of got past that and watched it again the second time, we were able to kind of get to all the emotional stuff. And now right. we love Coco as much as the rest of the world. But the so, first time we watched it, just... <laughs> like, I get this is sort of to make the plot happen. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I I found that idea of, oh, no, you have to have your photo on the ofrenda to be, like, very forced. But it's like, mm-hmm. no, because we need a MacGuffin. Yeah, We yeah. need, like, a physical talisman that everybody can run around and grab from each other. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I accept that now. It's just sort of a necessary <laughs> story mechanic. There were earlier versions of the movie that were specifically the guitar. And they were all mm-hmm. running around grabbing the guitar. Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah, no, we need, like, a thing that De La Cruz can grab and Imelda can grab and De La Cruz can grab and Hector can grab mm-hmm. to make the ending happen. Yeah, so we were able to say, okay, no, the shantytown is like the emotional logic. Mm, right, it's sure. not actually like an underworld where the opinion of other people right, determines yeah. whether you're in like essentially heaven or hell. Just, mm-hmm. So once, once we were able to accept right, right, that, right. we could enjoy it. But in a Ravenloft domain, we can get yeah, right. as we want. We can, we can so. be like, oh boy, that's horrible. <laughs> Hooray. So one of the categories we're having is the idea of the forgotten dead. And this is sort of what we're doing with Hector. Not He's not quite to this point, but yeah, he's close. Yeah. And kind of how we're playing up that idea of the sort of the undead in the shanty towns and stuff. And how we're kind of having it be that Hector can't just go around and tell everybody what actually yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah. So much much like Coco, we're doing, you know, part of part of our doing this the way that we are is to make it make, you know, plot sense. So if there are only one or two people who remember you, there's just this mm. tiny little scrap of memory that you're clinging to, then you're reduced to this sense of just mindless resentment and fear. And so these are kind of where you get your vicious spirits, right, your angry yeah. spirits. Your spirits were kind of locked into this one moment. Kind of your your classical ghosts who have their one bit of unresolved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And are just constantly lashing out because that's the only thing they remember. You know, all they remember is that the are and scream buried. at you yeah. and then, you know, fall on the stairs and you hear a neck snap. Yeah. And then when even that's gone, that's when the final death right, happens. Yeah. If you start to expose those ghosts to memories, or if more people start to remember them, if you kind of remind them of who they are, then they can start to sort of regain those memories for themselves, regain that power and vitality and that sense of their personality. So even though we aren't having Hector be the full, like, feral, mindless ghost, 
this is kind of how we're explaining why in the beginning of the movie all he can think about is Coco. Right, right. Like he there we don't get any sense that he has any sense of who Imelda is until he sees Imelda. Right, right, right. <laughs> like there's there's nothing else really to him except I had to see Coco, I had to see Coco, I had to right, see Coco. That's that scrap because Coco's the only one that remembers him. So that's kind of the one little piece of Hector that's left. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, being exposed to Miguel, being exposed to his family who's there, you know, hearing the songs that he wrote, that's kind of bringing him back to himself. So you could have with one of these, you know, forgotten dead, that either it is just kind of a combat encounter or putting them to rest, right. you know, bringing them the final death so that they can rest, or helping them remember themselves, helping their families remember them and, you know, bringing them back. You could do some you know, persuasion and research right, yeah. roles to help them. And this is this is like your classic, you know, you could mm-hmm. see the, the encounter unfolding where they're looking for someone's, you know, great-grandfather. They find the feral ghost that, you know, looks like them if they were a, a, mm-hmm. a brightly painted skeleton. Mm-hmm. And they have to do, they're like, no, remember, look, I have this pocket watch that you gave to your child. And like, ugh, child. Like, <laughs> and and then like the kind of the, you, they're the eyes, you know, suddenly you see a kind of cognition in their eyes and they reach out. And, like, you, you could see the whole mm-hmm, scene happening. Mm-hmm. And that's a great scene in a ghost story. And now you can do that. Yeah. And that also means when we mentioned that De La Cruz, he's taking their charisma, he's also taking their memories of writing the song. So in doing this, he's turning them into mm-hmm, these forgotten mm-hmm. dead by taking their memories. That even even if their families remember them, right. that's that's kind of the thing. It's like with Hector, it's because his family's forgotten. With this, you could have people who are lovingly placing them on the ofrenda yeah. all the time, and so basically. Uh, uh, Content warning, I guess, for briefly for anybody who's you know, having to deal with elder care and mm-hmm. whatnot. But it's basically that their ghost granddad has Alzheimer's, yeah, yeah, and that is really tragic and gut wrenching. Mm-hmm. And you could do something with that that you know, that they they remember them very clearly, and suddenly that's gone, and that so, that could be a great adventure hook, right? And you can you could do something. That's the wonderful mm-hmm. thing here is because yes. that the PCs can help that person come back to themselves and then you can tie it into the wider conflict of the crew. So you can have that uh, like mm-hmm. kind of encounter but it's part of this wider story of figuring out what De La Cruz is up yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. You can you can have, and, and, and I, I, I speak from experience here, you can have kind of the fantasy of someone with a loved one who had, like, senility or memory loss mm-hmm. or Alzheimer's, of being able to magically right. bring them back. Right. <laughs> so. And this is kind of what we have at the end with Coco, with, mm-hmm, like, he mm-hmm, plays yeah. Remember Me, and she's coming back into herself. It's waking mm-hmm. up her mind. And the PCs can do that. Yes. And that's that's going to be a really like emotionally satisfying scene mm-hmm. for them. And it's an emotionally satisfying scene that is going to play into a lot of these themes of this movie. So it's going to feel very Coco to have that scene. Not yes. just rare, very, it's a cool ghost story mm-hmm. scene. It's a specifically Coco scene. Yeah. So that's the memory side of things. And then the other theme that we have going on is reputation. And this was where we were, you know, really creeping out at Coco. Yeah, this is the class system of the dead. Yeah, the class system of the dead, the, like, wait a minute, you're telling me that, like, Jack the Ripper's not down in the shantytown because yeah, more right. people remember him. Even though they don't know who he is, more people remember him than Hector. Mm-hmm. So, with reputation, the idea that the offerings that are given at the grave or at the ofrenda in people's homes... You know, they're giving food, they're giving sustenance, you know, they're, they're giving guitars. Yeah, right. A lot of guitars are offered to De La Cruz. 
And you know, that does create that class system. And so someone like De La Cruz has more offerings and he knows what to do with because he's on hundreds right. of apprentices. Mountains of food. Oh mountains my gosh. of guitars. Yeah. An entire rooms of his mansion just to store mm-hmm. all the stuff he's given on day. That of the he'll day. never use. He'll never use. And that no. you know he doesn't share with people. I've got the Sassafras and Rich Man and Lazarus yeah, here right. with our De La Cruz and Hector. And that then gives a currency. Mm-hmm. Like if if there is a thing that people want, mm-hmm. and some people have a lot of it, and some people don't, that gives you an economy, and that yeah. gives you a currency. And then that's also it's reflected in the structure of the town because we mentioned that we're going to get into this when we describe the town itself. We mentioned that there's this this city of the dead that kind of exists alongside the living city. We're imagining that the city is just surrounded by nothing on all sides. 362 days out of the year. Mm-hmm. And then three days out of the year, suddenly a huge city of the dead like just kind of erupts around it. And in that city, you've got the huge mansions for people like De La Cruz. Uh-huh. You've got the family dwelling for all the past generations of Rivera's, except for Hector, are living mm-hmm. together. And then you've got the little shanty towns for your uh, Hector's and your teacher runs. Mm-hmm. And then that also means that so we were talking about Jack the Ripper. Right. They're remembered. They're going to be very powerful mm-hmm. because they're powerful. They're going to be a high memory. CL ghost. Uh-huh. But they're cut off from that source of sustenance. Mm. Oh, boy! That's yeah. exactly what we want. That's going to work we out great. We want really powerful, really angry, hungry ghosts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that brings us to another kind of uh, ghost that we have, which is the hungry dead. We've got our infamous spirits with strong memories and they have to either starve because no one's leaving them offerings mm. except weirdos. You, know, you could have a whole yeah. thing where you've got like it because a weird little cult of yeah of you know Juan the Ripper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or like and we had that whole awful thing with the Netflix like Jeffrey Dahmer special. Right. Yeah. Suddenly yeah. people like wanted Jeffrey Dahmer to be their husbando, and it was mm-hmm. so creepy. Some of them are getting some offerings, but a lot of them mm-hmm. aren't. And they're either going to starve or they're going to prey on other spirits, mm-hmm. which honestly a lot of them will probably find them because yeah, right, they're that's, doing yeah, in life. Yeah. They're robbing or attacking them for sustenance. And once again, that gives you some fantastic adventure hooks. And just the horror of this, mm-hmm. capital H horror, is that like if you are kind of banished from memory like Hector, but you're still a good person, mm-hmm. you're just going to be like miserable. Yeah. And if you're banished from memory because you deserve to be banished from memory, like you are Jack the Ripper, or just you were just a terrible person, mm-hmm. you're going to just be robbing people. Like yeah. you're, you're going, if you're a terrible person, there's ways around this kind of like mm-hmm. afterlife karma of not getting any offerings. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, <laughs> a group of heavily armed transients might be there to stop you from getting around those karmic consequences of your infamy. So we have these two ideas, and once again, we're just getting into Coco, these thematic stuff, fame and family. And this is the main source of memory, and this is the main source of offerings. And fame is the most powerful, because the richest and most powerful people in the land of the dead are the famous. Oh, wow. Sorry, I just yeah. had a whole a whole thing. If, if you no, yeah, go for it. Yeah. So with with you know, just think about the richest and most powerful. You could have somebody like again a Jack the Ripper uh-huh. where they're anonymous, where uh-huh. they're, they're monsters, but no one knows their face. Mm-hmm. 
And you could have a whole thing where, like, they set themselves up as a pillar of the community, mm -hmm. sitting on all this stuff that they stole from other people, mm. and saying that, you know, oh, yeah, no, you didn't, you didn't hear of me? Oh, yeah, no, I, I, I invented that thing mm -hmm. that, like, you know, te temporarily, you know, the people in Falkovnia, they were, like, actually well-fed for a couple months because mm -hmm. of this thing I invented, and even though they're not from here, Ooh, yeah. they still leave me all these offerings. Isn't that nice? You would have heard of me if you'd ever been there. And once again, that's a great place for the PCs to come in and be like, bye, Joe. If we've been to Falkovia. <laughs> You're, You're a liar. <laughs> God, now you found me out, but it will be your doom. <laughs> Roll initiative. <laughs> and so fame, that is, as we were saying, that, that's the most freeing. That's kind of the safest, because no matter how big and warm and wonderful and supportive your family is, it's not going to be the same as being Ernesto de la Cruz, mm -hmm. as having literally millions of fans, or in this case, people across Ravenloft and most of the population of Santa Cecilia remembering you and cherishing you and giving you offerings. And also you're not beholden to anyone. That's the whole thing. De La Cruz doesn't have any family. But his whole thing is, well, the, I'm an artist. The world is my family. So you don't have people that have power over you like Mama Melda, like the family does over Miguel. And, and so, an actor for that matter. And so no one can, can stop you the way that Imelda can stop Hector. Because you have that fame, you have that independence. And so we have De La Cruz is the, the number one. He's the most famous son of Santa Cecilia. And this is even, it's a musical center in general. And so a lot of people try and imitate that path. And there are a number of other famous musicians, but of course none have quite reached the heights of De La Cruz. But that's very rare. It's very rare you'll be mm -hmm. a De La Cruz or even a, you know, finalist in the talent show. <laughs> so the, the vast majority of people and kind of the safest and most common thing is family. Your family is how you are remembered. Your descendants tell your stories. They set up your, you know, picture, your plaque, your nameplate, whatever, since it's before photographs, on <laughs> the ofrenda. And you are remembered and you are given offerings. And this is... On the other hand, this can be wonderfully supportive. This can be this like wonderful, great sense of continuity and of cherishing the people that have gone on and of having that connection with him living in the dead. All that wonderful Coco stuff. Good stuff, stuff right? Good Coco stuff. All that stuff. wonderful Coco stuff. But this is also a thing that comes up in Coco mm -hmm. that this can also be a lot of pressure and conformity. All and, that you know, terrible in context. All that stuff. terrible in context. <laughs> right, exactly. And this is part of Coco is... Miguel learning to appreciate family, but it's also sort of Imelda learning to be less controlling mm -hmm. and kind of, and Miguel's abuela also sort of learning to be mm -hmm. less controlling. Like it's, it, it's the synthesis. It's the, the one position, the other position, they both learn a lesson. They both come together. Everybody's happier. But if you don't have Hex, it's a horrible Ravenloft domain, that family has enormous power. Like mm -hmm. the pressure of conformity, the pressure of obedience, because if you are banished, if you are exiled, if you are pulled, your picture is ripped out and taken off the ofrenda, that is potentially literally oblivion. Yeah. Like that is, you are not just exiled from the family, you are maybe exiled from existence. Yeah. And if, if you've got family that's not going to exile you at the drop of a hat, then you're fine. If, you know, once again, probably all seen in content. Yeah, right. Statistically, most of you have listened to our Kanto episode. Uh, you <laughs> <good>. <laughs> we all know how that can go. Yeah, right. Just imagine in Kanto, but Abuela can actually, like, have you disintegrated. Have you unpersoned. Have you unpersoned. Forever. Yeah, not just socially unpersoned, but 
existentially, metaphysically unpersoned. Mm-hmm. So once again, we're just extending the metaphor of banishment and exile from the family, but that's what Coco does. So we've got a couple of landmarks in the village. We've got the village, we've got the city of the dead, a couple of specific landmarks, and one at the cemetery. And this is, as it is in reality, the kind of border of the living and the dead. Mm-hmm. So we're imagining you've got the village, and then you've got the streets go through the cemetery, and then just as Rachel said, just kind of the streets continue these empty fields. Yeah. These just massive empty fields with these like grids of streets. And then that's where the city of the dead appears on those empty fields during Day of the Dead. So that's the cemetery then acts. That's where the ritual starts. Everybody goes there. That's where the living go through the cemetery to get to the dead. The dead go through the cemetery to get to the living. You know, the kind of thing. And one other detail is that I like the idea that there is a kind of general offering of very, like, simple food. Mm. Like, you know, just like kind of sort of cornmeal kind of things for everyone buried there. Mm -hmm. So a kind of public assistance for the dead. (laughs) So as long as you were buried in the town cemetery, sort of in the consecrated ground, Mm -hmm. you get at least, like, basic food. You get mm. you get simple basic food and once again that kind of social conformity. As long as you basically conform to the town, you're buried in the cemetery, you're going to get something. Yeah. But if you weren't, mm. then you don't even get that kind of public assistance. Yeah. And then our other two places are both De La Cruz related. <laughs> and one is in the world of the living sort of. And that's the Plaza mm-hmm. de that's the Plaza de la Cruz. And that's we see that's where the movie starts. Mm-hmm. Miguel Shining Shoes there. And that's this kind of public square with a big statue of De La Cruz. It's famous as being the place where he first performed. And it's where during the first day of Day of the Dead, before the sun the sunset and the dead appear, there's this kind of talent show. And we've talked about some of the plot hooks related with that, <laughs> that, like, the winner of the talent show gets to go and perform, to perform a private audience for De La Cruz. Madeline Gray, yeah! It's not a trap at all. <laughs> and then you have, when the sun sets, you have the City of the Dead appear that gives us the Sunrise Spectacular Stadium, and you have this kind of festival through the night. That, like, third night, that final night, there's this, like, festival where it's great musicians from across the generations play in the stadium and ending with, of course, Ernesto de la Cruz as the (laughs) the, the headliner of the event, the grand finale. Premiering his amazing new song that he totally wrote all by himself. Yep. Just don't, don't look for any notes or anything. Yeah. And then finally, speaking of De La Cruz and where you would go to have the interview if you were that lucky, lucky winner of that contest who worked so hard Mm -hmm. and you, just like they'd said, you'd prepared a new song that you hadn't performed already to have De La Cruz sort of evaluate it and critique it. And you're really excited to hear that new song De La Cruz says he's going to perform this year. (laughs) Oh man, this is the best night of your life. Yeah. And that's De La Cruz Tower. And that is the biggest residence. It is just absurdly huge. It has got polo fields. It has got a pool shaped like a guitar. (laughs) It has got massive vaults full of offerings that he then can use to pay. The massive number of servants and security guards he has. And it also has these, like, dungeons that he Mm. can... Secret dungeons he can use to lock up his enemies. So if someone heard something or even if his charisma drain thing failed or only drained Mm -hmm. a little bit the person's like hey (laughs) you just did something bad to me 
then he could snap his fingers and his dark-suited goons can throw that person into a pit. Mm-hmm. Oh, and while we're talking about the, uh, the De La Cruz competition and the draining the charisma from people and, you know, how would this be sustainable? You know, part of it is just kind of the Ravenloft magic, but part of it's also, I can see this even turning into, like, a thing people notice but joke about. Yeah, yeah. So, for a while, there was a whole thing where it was better to be the runner-up on yeah, American yeah. Idol than to be the winner, because they actually, like, they weren't very good at managing your career once you'd won. I, I, again, this is, this is, I... Don't very old, like very old, but I mean, like season you know, one and one yeah, through five. This, this of became Idol. this was less of a thing later, but that like Clay Aiken did better than Ruben Stoddard mm. and that kind of thing, and so there could even be just this running joke about how it's better to be the runner. Yeah, yeah. Because for whatever reason, when you won the contest, but hey, maybe you'll be the one who breaks that curse. And the great thing is, we're having it be kind of a role that he drains. So if he, like, just drains a little from you mm-hmm. and doesn't, like, need a new song, mm-hmm. then you just go on to have, like, an okay to create to do yeah. not the equivalent of, like, cruise ships and stuff. And, <laughs> and you, like, do a cover band. You, like, have a great De La Cruz cover band mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. headline and you can do, like, weddings and bar mitzvahs. And <laughs> just, like, yeah, you're not going to be a legend. You're not going to be the performer you would have having the career you would have had. But you let do okay. Mm-hmm. It's not that every single person is drained of their memory and becomes a wandering like hobo <laughs> who who just remembers they want to get home to their daughter. Mm-hmm. That you have people that go on to do go home and do okay. They're just kind of never gonna quite hit those heights they hit. That's like that was the peak of their career yeah, as a musician yeah. was winning the uh, winning the talent show and performing at the Sunrise Spectacular. So. We've given you, we hope, is a very interesting setting with a lot of potential ghosts to fist fight. And we've given you, uh, hopefully, some ways to connect those ghost fist fights to <laughs> this wider story of De La Cruz. But how do we put all that together? How, what's the wider story you're going to have with De La Cruz? Rachel, what do you do with it? Dread Possibilities. It appeared increasingly likely that De La Cruz was a linchpin of Santa Cecilia in the same way that figures such as Frollo, Maleficent, and Dr. Facilier were within their domains, and I was determined to either gain an audience with him or discover the actual power behind the throne. Given his obvious love of celebrity, I assumed it would be a simple matter to obtain access to De La Cruz, but I had not taken into account the possibility that his very fame would pose a barrier. It seemed that half of Santa Cecilia was struggling to convince his security guards that they had a valid reason to attend his lavish pre-sunrise spectacular party, to little effect. Even claiming that I was writing about the singer's exploits for an influential patron was futile, as I had no name to give the security guards except the pseudonym. Undaunted, I made several attempts to infiltrate the party through magical means, only to be rebuffed by mystic wards and other security measures. I saw at least four living or dead bards trying to worm into the party with illusions or enchantments. Presumably, the staff has been holding off all manner of magic-using De La Cruz enthusiasts for decades. As I took a moment to recover my spells and consider a strategy that would succeed where Mask of Many Faces, Invisibility, and Gaseous Form had failed, I caught a glimpse of a brightly colored animal slinking around a building. I had seen these animals before. The Santa Cecilians call them alabrijes, a kind of benevolent spirit guardian. This alabrije was different from the others I had seen. Instead of being patterned with a vibrant color from head to toe, he was primarily black, 
with brilliant yellow-green highlights that I knew without question were the same color as his eyes. It was a cat. I still had no plan for getting into the party, and it seemed foolish to pass up further opportunities to explore the Land of the Dead during the only three days that I could access it. Besides, I had heard that Alabrijes were sources of protection and guidance for the living. Perhaps this one would show me a way to learn more information from my patron. I followed the Alabrijes' glossy tail around the corner, hoping to get a closer look at one of these unusual creatures, but it was gone when I arrived. I was about to return to De La Cruz Tower, when I saw a flash of his paw on top of another building, leading me further away. I spent a frustrating night becoming increasingly lost as I followed the cat down one alley after another, calling after it with greater and greater exasperation. Of course, being a cat, he did not respond to being called. After several exhausting and fruitless hours, I tracked him to the cemetery that divided the living of the dead, and I saw a flash of his vivid green and black tail as he slipped into a mausoleum. Certain I had him cornered, I followed him inside. There was no sign of the Alabrije, but a Taroka card lay atop one of the tombs. The Four of Glyphs. It had the traditional iconography, but I could not help remembering the card as it had appeared in Dr. Facilier's reading. The looming skeletal figure. The woman surrounded by friends. I did not see the cat again. I returned to De La Cruz Tower, footsore, sweaty, and uncertain of whether I had attained any guidance or enlightenment, beyond the lesson that I should never look for signs where there are none to be found. As I neared the building with the vague plans of creating a distraction, I overheard two security guards talking about that living woman who had been trying to get in to see De La Cruz. From their conversation, I gleaned that they did not care for the questions I had been asking about past contest winners, and that they were planning for me to pay a visit to some of the most predatory of the hungry dead. Had I not followed the cat, they would have come upon me while I was resting, stripped of all but my most elementary spells. As it was, their conversation told me everything I needed to know about what manner of man Ernesto de la Cruz truly was. I want adventure in the great wide somewhere. I want it more than I can tell. So what brought your party of adventurers of wandering, heavily armed transients, to this normally very sleepy village of Santa Cecilia, presumably at the three days of the year when it is not a sleepy village, (laughs) other than that Michael's had a lot of Day of the Dead themed decorations this year, so you have great atmosphere for set dressing. (laughs) And as we said, we are imagining really the the meat of this, the point of this. You go to this domain during that Day of the Dead festival, rest of the year, like whatever. But there's just the, the hooks aren't there, the concept aren't there. It's just a village. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is the time of the year that it's suddenly this very extraordinary, unique, fun, supernatural area with a lot of plot hooks going on. But Rachel, what are some of the reasons PCs might come in presumably those three days out of the year when Santa Cecilia is cool? Well, the obvious thing to do is something to do with like the, the festival with De La Cruz and the Sunrise Spectacular and everything. Maybe there's a bard in the group who's yeah. heard about this and like, you know, wants to, wants to try his luck. Maybe you have like an NPC bard contact mm-hmm. who's entering and, do, and you've heard about this and you're going to track them down. It might be since they do have this very thin line with the uh, ethereal plane that there's a dead resident that you need to talk to for information and you don't even need to cast speak with dead. Right, exactly. Like do it. The great thing is it's like, oh yeah, we had this, you know, real estate deal 
with someone in Santa Cecilia. No one knows where they put the paperwork. <laughs> and you can just go to Santa Cecilia and find the dead guy and ask him where he put the paperwork. Yeah, and you can either do that during the Day of the Dead itself, or, you know, since it is, again, a pretty thin border, it's mm. presumably pretty easy to summon specific ghosts to there. So if you need to, like, whistle them up beforehand, that will get you in town just in time for the Day of the Dead shenanigans to start. Right, and that's the great thing is if you have those normal things, like a spirit board and Van Richten's Guide, or the Speak with Dead spell, it's really easy to say, like, oh, but the best place to use this is Santa Cecilia. Like, mm-hmm. the safest, the place you're going to get the strongest signal is Santa Cecilia. And your PA party's like, all right, that's where we're going for the next part of the plot. Find out where the paperwork is in. <laughs> you can also make use of the Alabrijes. Yes, we have not touched on those too much. Yes, but the, the Alabrijes, we see with Dante, he's there in the living world and the dead world. Mm-hmm. So you can have this animal, especially for one of your nature types or druid right. or ranger or whatever, this, like, you know, mysterious animal is kind of guiding them along. And it's because they have some kind of journey of self-discovery that they need to go on. This is, you know, this is especially good if you want to be tying some of your characters' like personal hooks and growth and goals and everything. Mm -hmm. Then an Alabrihim might lead them there. Using Dante as an example gives what I think for the GM is one of the most useful types of NPCs, which is this sort of mysterious force that just wants to right wrongs, Mm -hmm. but wants to sort of lead people and guide people to those wrongs being written. So I hope you've realized, you've only seen the movie once, if you go back and watch, like, oh no, Dante the whole time. Mm -hmm. Like the whole time Dante is guiding, all of his actions are leading Miguel to Hector, trying to right this wrong and help Hector, make peace with his family. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And speaking of putting things right, you could have a more human in of correctness and justice. If you've got uh, this contest in past years, then you have someone who's like, hey, my dad disappeared. Mm. Like, my dad came here and won and performed a sunrise spectacular and just kind of disappeared after that. Or my dad came here to compete and I never found out what happened, never heard from them again, or whatever. So you are hired to sort of track down this is the easiest way to immediately get your pcs hooked into the kind of core story Mm -hmm. which is they're specifically hired to kind of track down someone who had gotten entangled with de la cruz and gotten whammied by de la cruz Mm Regardless of how you get in there, you meet someone who's a Hector or Miguel type figure, a dead or living person wronged by De La Cruz. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe they don't even know they were wronged by De La Cruz. Right. But the breadcrumbs lead you there eventually. And then, of course, as we always mention, the classic the supply classic. caravan. So there could be a fun thing if you're delivering supplies. Maybe the caravan gets attacked by the hungry dead and they're yeah, right. their offerings. Yeah, right. They're like, you arrive there at night as it's starting, or it's night, and the border's thin enough that the hungry dad can come in and try and go, and you're bringing a lot of offering stuff. And mm-hmm. I think that'd be a pretty cool, uh, pretty yeah, cool, yeah. memorable bunch of, like, ghosty skeletons mm-hmm. trying to take the stuff from your wagon and eat it. Yeah. Is going to be a pretty cool, memorable set piece. <laughs> and, oh, man, where would where would adventurers be without caravan supply deliveries? In their hometowns. Where would we be? They'd be in their hometowns. Yes. Where would we be in our plot hooks for all of these domains without the classic delivering of supplies for the caravan? <laughs> <laughs> For some plot hooks, you know, you've got maybe last year's winner disappeared and never made contact. We were saying that that's, that's one possibility. Maybe you have someone knows that De La Cruz is claiming a song that somebody mm-hmm. else yes. wrote. Like somebody saying, oh, well, you know, my wife enters the contest and I heard her working on this song. Yeah, yeah. And she won, but then she couldn't remember ever having written it. And then De La Cruz sang. Because it's like, that's that's the thing. If you're going to be stealing these songs from people who, like, 
ever practice or workshop mm-hmm. it around anyone else at all, then this isn't going to be sustainable. So mm-hmm. that could be that could be another possibility. And this could even give you a nice sort of Coco style MacGuffin of like with uh, Mama Coco's letters at the end that you have like letters, you mm-hmm. have papers that have drafts of these songs. You have like dated papers that prove that De La Cruz, this is other person, not De La Cruz, wrote the song. Yes. And that makes a great MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. So you can even have the, the scene where you're doing La Llorona yes. and dance fighting. Dance fighting. <laughs> Tom loves a good I love dance, dance fight. I love a good dance fight. I love a good like, oh no, we're fighting, but there's an audience. We have to pretend we're dancing. <laughs> if you want a big sunrise spectacular showdown grabbing for the MacGuffin, mm-hmm. then you have a lot of options yeah. there too. yeah. So that's kind of also what we're seeing as being our core story, that you you, know, you come to town, you get somehow tangled up with an NPC right. who's been wrong with Jay Cruz in some way, you come back for Day of the Dead, and you have to find some way to thwart De La Cruz or expose him. There are other possibilities, we're going to talk about that when we get to our parting thoughts, but that's kind of the, the core story, which once again we'll flesh out more as usual when we get to parting thoughts. Yeah, yeah, and that's... Really, I think what your PCs are going to want with a Coco themed mm, yes, adventure when yes. they realize, oh, we're doing Coco. Uh-huh. They're going to want going to Skeleton Town. Mm-hmm. They're going to want stomping on De La Cruz's foot. Mm-hmm. And they're going to want, like, and helping some kind of Hector or some kind of Miguel or both. We do need there to be an excuse for why they have to disguise themselves as skeletons. There you do. Like, yes. we, we, need, we need a reason that they need to be posing as the dead. Because once again, that's. I, th- I, think, I think that's the only part of the Coco experience. Yeah, really yeah, yeah. Here. Maybe just to, like, infiltrate the Sunrise Spectacular to be like pretend to be the stage crew because the Mm, stage crew is all dead people. So there's a a lot of situations you could put them in where you're like, oh, but to do this you have to paint your face like a skull. Mm -hmm. Like Miguel does. (laughs) Yeah, that is the last piece of the full Coco. So if you can figure out a good reason that to do what they want to do, they have to disguise as skeletons, then we do have the full Coco. (laughs) So we've talked about some various story possibilities, and we've also want to talk about running this for different audiences, these different story possibilities. So we always talk about aging down and aging up, because maybe you have some kids, they love this movie, they want to do a Coco thing. I remember we went to like a baseball game a couple years ago and they had the schedule of like the theme nights and one was Coco night. Mm-hmm. So like this this is a widespread enough movie that there is a chance that a group of younger players just wants to do a Coco story. And how do you do that for younger players? And this is one of our least like horror, horror domains. Mm-hmm. Even the whole... That yes, it's full of skeletons, but they're kind of goofy skeletons, and by definition, like no one can really get hurt. Like when the <laughs> skeletons get smashed into pieces, they just assemble back into pieces. There's not any kind of like the physical horror or physical danger, but where the real horror potentially of Coco is, and this is what you want to turn down for your younger players, is the existential stuff. Mm-hmm. Is the threat of oblivion, the being forgotten, just the horror of that, of that parallel with the real world, the sort of idea of memories fading away. Like, just don't play that up at all. No. Just, here's a bad skeleton singer jerk, and you <laughs> need to, like, show people he's a bad skeleton singer jerk, and you need to help the nice skeleton, like, hug people. Mm-hmm. And the other possibility, especially if you want to do this sort of somebody got their talent stolen, that kind of hook of, like... I need you to go investigate because my wife went to do this contest and then forgot, is to make it restore. Yes. That's the key, I think. The number one change for younger players is make a lot of what De La Cruz takes 
fixable or mm-hmm. store. So, like, maybe you, if you break his guitar. Like, he has his special guitar. If you break it, it's like Ursula's shell. You get the voice of the song, the original voice of the song, singing, floating through the air in glowy dust. And then going back into the person's throat. Now they remember. They can sing the song again. And they can tell everyone, De La Cruz stole my music. And that... That'd be a very different movie. That'd be a very different movie, yes. <gasps> but if you give that, if you just turn the dial real low on the existential stuff... Make the song slash the memory slash the talent restorable. You have a perfect adventure for kids that love Coco. Mm-hmm. But what if you're adults that love Coco and you really don't want to dial down the existential stuff? Well, if you're adults that love Coco, you want to dial up the existential stuff. Brilliant. I, I don't think we need to have like a content warning yeah. here. It's not going to be getting real nasty. Just we're going to be talking about, yeah, the existential stuff mainly. So... Play up that existential horror. Play up that fear of oblivion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can you can really like if if you want to have the spirits fading away, really make it creepier than it yeah, is yeah. Movie, like you, just... you have the kind of very peaceful. Mm-hmm. You know, he's kind of going to his rest, and it's sad, but it's it's kind of peaceful. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> just be terrible. Speaking of terrible, you can really play up yeah. the unfairness of the class system. Like really, you know, once again, they want you to feel sad for Hector, but they don't want you to feel horrified on Hector's behalf. <laughs> So just much as he might deserve it. <laughs> so just like making the like kind of the shanty towns just much more squalid, much more mm-hmm. awful. Um, there's all kinds of stuff you could do with the hungry dead that we mentioned. Yeah. Just kind of, as as it is, we just have them eating offerings. There are all kinds of things oh, that they can eat. We touched on the whole, uh, like, you want to be remembered by your family, and that gives your family a lot of control over you. You could bring in a lot of the stuff that we mentioned in Encanto in, uh, in Coco. You could have a bunch of that just horrible, smothering abuse. Yeah, yeah. And, and have that be a theme that you play with. Once again, session zero it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that could be a theme that, that you bring in. And then another thing, you know, once again, just for dialing up the horror, dialing up the creepiness of the descriptions, is kind of how you're playing those ghosts that have been charisma drained and memory drained mm-hmm, by Dale Cruz. Mm-hmm. Like, how, like, sad, how feral, how incoherent. Just There are a whole lot of ways you can play these, and they're all awful. Mm-hmm. So, really, really ramping that up is another way to turn that y- You are really, I think, going to grab your PC's heartstrings if they meet someone who, like, is being forgotten and doesn't have offerings and is, like, close to oblivion, it's because they were, like, a social nonconformist. Mm-hmm. It was sort of like the, the, the possibility of Miguel mm-hmm. just because he wanted to be a musician being off the family as a friend, being banished. Yeah. So just someone who, for whatever reason, was a nonconformist, refused to live up to the family's expectations, wanted to kind of follow their own path, and now they're facing oblivion for that. Mm-hmm. Because they've been that family banishment is a sort of literal banishment from existence. Yeah. Kind of, kind of the equivalent of Bruno no longer gets to exist. Yes, like, yes, yes. Bruno. Yes, if we don't talk about Bruno, Bruno doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And that's even more horrifying than we got in Encanto, because mm-hmm. it's extending that the Encanto horribleness into the afterlife. Yeah. <laughs> All the magical controls of salvation and damnation. Yes. <laughs> and then kind of talk about that whole nonconformity thing. We were talking about there's the cemetery and there are the offerings that are made, just kind of the baseline offerings that everyone gets in the cemetery. And if you do certain you know bad things and you're not allowed to be buried in the hallowed ground, 
what those things are is yeah. another way to kind of turn that dial exactly how much you want to play with this theme of conformity that's going to determine whether you're not buried in the cemetery because you murder people or not buried in the cemetery because you worship a different god than the rest yeah, of Santa yeah, Cecilia. Yeah. So really for a very bloodless, very like there's not a lot of horror inherent in this sort of spookier, ostensibly spookier elements. There's a lot of horror in the kind of system they've created mm-hmm. for this movie. And as Rachel mentioned, and further back, that kind of turned us off at the beginning. First time we both watched Coco. And you can take that and actually make that weakness a strength. Yeah. Except if you're running it explicitly as a horror set. So yeah, we hopefully have given you some possibilities for getting your PCs to Santa Cecilia. Whether those PCs are young and are going to have a delightful adventure of helping a nice lady who plays the flute get her talent back, <laughs> or whether they are adults and they're going to just hate this village and want to burn it to the ground and say this is the worst place they've been in all of Ravenloft. <laughs> we hope we provided you either of those, or both, and we'll wrap up our discussion of that potentially worst place in Ravenloft with our parting thoughts in a section like to call Parting Thoughts. So the first thing we like to do in Parting Thoughts is the genre of horror. This is in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. We've, I've said this every episode, but it's true every episode. I think <laughs> it's never not true. Uh, we both agree this is one of the best sections of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. And even if you're not going to run Ravenloft, if you just want to do horror, even just like writing horror, this is like a good read. Mm-hmm. And they have different genres and talk about how to sort of tailor the adventure and the domain to the like expectations and meaning and core fears of those genres. So, this is one where I feel like we're not going to have a lot of debate. Yeah. I think they're sort of two very obvious contenders. Mm-hmm. Um, but the great thing is we can have two. Yes, so. it's the wonderful thing. We, in fact, the, most of them do. Most of the domains do give you two because they're like a mix. So, I'd say the first ghost story uh, yeah. in that it is a story about It is a story ghosts. about ghosts. And more than that, that a ghost story is always about the past. And almost every ghost story is actually a kind of mystery. And resolving the ghost story, whether it's resolved badly or well, the ghost is put to rest, the ghost is banished, the people die, whatever, it almost always involves finding out the past and Mm -hmm. finding out the story of the ghost and maybe finding where their body's buried, maybe finding out the terrible murders they committed, maybe finding out the talisman that's keeping them bound in the mortal plane, whatever. And that's what this is. That's what Coco is. Coco is about, you know, as we've said before, that one quote that ghosts hate, unresolved romance, mm-hmm. unburied bodies, and unavenged murders. And we kind of have two of those in yeah. Coco. And they get resolved. So it even has a very classic ghost story, if you look at it that way, that it's about... We this... have all three of those in Coco. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, it's not like his body got sent back right, to yeah, yeah. Cecilia. We don't know where Hector's body is. And, yeah, if you, especially if you take unburied body kind of, like, very metaphorically mm-hmm. in this whole, like, his family finding out what happened and kind of giving him the proper funeral rites mm-hmm. that his, you know, culture demands. Like, wow, yeah, you actually yeah. do. So it's all, <laughs> we're hitting the, tri- the ghost trifecta. Hector's all three. <laughs> hat trick. The ghost story hat trick. So, yeah, that this is this boy kind of stumbling into this ghost story and resolving the ghost story by learning about the past and by mm-hmm. discovering these secrets and by helping to kind of put his great-great-grandfather to rest 
not literally, because he doesn't have final death, but sort of give him peace in the afterlife through avenging his murder, helping him resolve, you know, his romance and his relationship with his daughter, and kind of helping him have the proper funeral rites that mm-hmm. he needs. So all three, Miguel does the, the hat trick. So that's Ghost Story. What's the other obvious one, you think? A cold investigation. You can definitely have a cold investigation, yeah. too. Because, you know... Especially, it's not so much in Coco because Miguel doesn't realize he's a cultly investigator. Yes. You know, it's not, it's not something like Scooby-Doo where there's there's obviously a mystery on their hands. But that's kind of where you're going to be with your PCs. Yeah, yeah. They're going to be like, oh boy, let's find out what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Boy, Ma- this seems too good to be true. Miguel, like, you know, his goal isn't to unravel any kind of mystery. His goal is to find Dale Cruz. And... That's not, I feel, going to be the angle that your PCs are coming in on. I mm. think that they're going to be coming in much more of the, looks like we have another mystery on our hands, gang. <laughs> <laughs> this nice coach that everything's great, and he's mm-hmm. being really helpful. Mm-hmm. I, bet, I bet nothing suspicious. So is that your second also? I actually was going to say psychological horror, mm. because you do have the a lot of, if you want to play up the horror, if you want to make Coco a horror setting, mm-hmm. the horror is that skeletons going, Woo, like doing chill touch on you. Mm. The horror is like people being forgotten. Or mm-hmm. people being uh, existentially dissolving because they've been forgotten. Mm-hmm. Or De La Cruz stealing people's kind of memories or stealing people's songs. Would this That's be just psychological I'm... or cosmic, do you think? Because that's kind mm. of the unfairness of the universe. I would go psychological because okay. it's about the internal experience. Mm. And once again, this is a nice Ben Richten's guide. It has that difference between both psychological horror and cosmic horror are sort of about the perception and the world being wrong but I feel like it's psychological because it's much more the sort of it's, it's so much about the experience mm-hmm. about the mental mm-hmm. state that, that's what I would go anyway like you could make a very good argument for cosmic horror for the reasons you said we might this 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 may end up being a stinger as so we have a spirited debate on the definitions of horror genres <laughs> but actually this is uh, it's a thing that we were talking about in Raven Love Gives Me Goosebumps, mm-hmm. which you can find you on You should read. This is great. But we were talking about some of the difference between cosmic horror and psychological horror in kids' books and mm-hmm. you know, trying to sort those into the different categories. And there were a couple of things where you, you had put them in psychological, and I said, well, what, if there's a similar thing mm-hmm. in cosmic. What's the difference? With cosmic, it actually was that the world was strange and horrible. Mm-hmm. With psychological, it was someone kind of trying to manipulate you into seeing the world as strange and horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I feel like with Coco, especially if you're playing up the fundamental unfairness of yeah, the world, yeah. like, nobody's gaslighting you. Yeah. It's like, this is, this is the way the world actually is is insane in other way you're being made to see it. Yeah, that's a really good point. And definitely with the aging up version, mm-hmm. probably like if it really gets your PCs, gets your players, it's gonna be because of a kind of a cosmic horror. Yeah. Of the just this universe, this this world, this place, this domain is so unfair. Mm-hmm. And is so just wrong and broken and unfair and there's nothing anyone can do about it. I think definitely for the core write-up, and Colt Investigation is going to be good for the second one, because like you said, that's going to be like, if a ghost story is a mystery, that's kind of how they're going to engage in it, mm-hmm. is they're going to engage yeah. in the investigation, and this whole story, whatever story you end up running, is going to be an investigation. It's going to be a mystery. It's going to be learning about something that happened in the past, either the previous Day of the Dead or... 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. If you have a cult investigation, you know what that means? We got them all? We got them all! We got them all! Woo! Air by five. (laughs) Harder, I need to hear it in the mic. I need to hear it. Oh, I thought thought you didn't want to hear it. No! Okay. Yeah! That's what you heard that. You heard our air high five for we got them all. (laughs) 
Gotta said, catch them all, and we did. You said air high five. I thought this was like an air high ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't actually make noise. <laughs> so, speaking of the kind of adventure you're going to run, let's talk a little bit about what would be a good adventure for the setting. We have some domains like Barovia, like Darkon, where you could like run an entire years-long game if you really just chase down every NPC, every plot hook. You have others like the evil puppet theater that you might remember from last episode, <laughs> where it's, it's a story. Uh, this one is not quite that. You have mm-hmm. a lot of variety. It's not just one single story. But I think there's very much a core story that you're going to do some variation of. Yeah, it's, I think... Definitely, it's not going to be like a Strahd or a Darkon because mm. the most interesting thing is only three days. Yes, long. yes, yes. And it's, I feel like you could do a couple sessions in Santa Cecilia. Mm-hmm. Like you could have just kind of this one random side story about a hungry ghost before the Day of yeah, the Dead yeah. starts and then start going into Day of the Dead stuff. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to be able to have a years long campaign. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. yeah. You can do a couple like arcs in Santa Cecilia and enjoy it, but that's it. Yeah, the big part of it is because we have this, there's only so much variety you can get in this three-day time period. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to stretch it out and have it be a month, you yeah, maybe you absolutely more, but... do whatever you want. Yeah. yeah, And like just like you have that kind of, in our canon version anyway, you have that sort of limited time frame, I really think it's going to be some kind of, as we said, ghost story, some kind of resolving the past. Some kind of helping a ghost, helping one of the people in the City of the Dead reconnect or make peace or something mm-hmm. with the city of living. Because any of those three options we gave, you could be unburied body, unresolved <laughs> relationships, or un- unsolved murders. So the big difference is whether you bring in De La Cruz. Mm-hmm. Because the great thing is you can do stories here that don't involve De La Cruz. That it can just be an unsolved murder or an unburied body mm-hmm. or an unresolved family issue. They can go in, they can investigate, they can go to Skeleton Town. It's really great. Some reason they have to paint themselves to look like skeletons. <laughs> and then they, you know, walk off having helped the ghost make peace with his family. That's like your good one-shot, two-shot kind of adventure. And I think the core adventure here, of course, is that, but De La Cruz. Mm-hmm. Like, he is the driving antagonist. He is the one that is every year doing a thing that would create a plot book for you. Mm-hmm. And you can have an adventure without him. But the core adventure of this domain, <laughs> similar to in uh, Barovia, helping uh, Tatiana reincarnation escape from Strahd, the core adventure here is kind of helping someone for De La Cruz. And, of course, we have that kind of... Dark Lord plot armor of you can't do the full Miguel, you can't full on overturn him, you mm-hmm. can't ruin his reputation forever, you can't have everybody throwing tomatoes at him and writing forget you over his <laughs> his, uh, his giant mausoleum, but you could diminish his reputation, mm-hmm. that's the thing. And once again, that could be something that's good with it for the Dark Powers because that, that tightens the screws. Yeah. Like if he loses face this one day of the dead... That tightens the screws, that ups the pressure on him not losing face in future Day of the Dead. So the Dark Power should be like, yes, do thumbs up, go do that. <laughs> Maybe a small group of people could throw tomatoes at him. It's not going to be the whole Sunrise Spectacular, but a, a, a lot, an extended limit, family. Limit on like eight tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, actually, that's actually fine, that helps us. So it's saving someone, proving he did something wrong helping someone bring someone peace that's been wronged by Day of the Cruise, have a Hector, help that Hector, bring that Hector to peace, 
have some kind of action of justice in this un- extremely unjust setting, and then ride off into the sunset as happy PCs, <laughs> having made a positive difference in the world. And possibly the place you might might be riding in from might have something to do with some of the themes and points of De La Cruz. Rachel, is there anywhere, any anyone in the older Ravenloft material that might have some connection here? Jeez, a bard dark... Gosh, this is rough. I didn't... Yeah, Harko Lucas hates this guy. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I, I cannot tell you exactly what it says in my notes about Harko Lucas' hatred for this guy. Because we're a PG-rated, yes, family-friendly podcast. But man, Harko Lucas hates this guy. <laughs> yes, he... We had a skin of Harkon uh-huh, Lucas talking uh-huh. about how much he hates this guy. <laughs> Just like, say what you will about Harkon Lucas. He cares about art. Yeah. He cares about music. The music is not just in him. It is him. <laughs> <laughs> and he recognizes when someone's just saying that as a line when he hears yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> In the Coco novelization, there's, I don't know if it's an internal thing or Hector's talking about playing with De La Cruz, but it's something like, you know, they were touring together and that De La Cruz never cared about how well they played. He only cared about the size mm. of the crowd. It's like when they were talking about how it went, that was really the only thing he was talking about and the only thing that he cared about. It was never like, okay, but how did we do? And you know what? Harkon Lucas would oh, yeah. be <laughs> hours picking apart the performance. <laughs> we were talking about how De La Cruz never comes to rehearsal, so mm-hmm. even Frida Kahlo mentioned that. Yeah. Harkon Lucas comes to every rehearsal, yeah. and he is the first one there uh-huh. and the last one to leave, and he is a terror. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, if that rehearsal is going to be hours and hours and hours into the night, like, he's not letting you leave until he is satisfied, Mm -hmm. no matter how late it is. So even if he doesn't know exactly what's going on with De La Cruz and everything, he knows he's a hack. Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, look at that performance of Remember Me versus what we know it is supposed to be. Mm And it's, oh, it's it's such a waste. And how is he the one who has all the fame? It's not fair. It's not fair. fair. So, as you can see, we really want these two to interact. Right, yeah, we want to get these these, these crazy kids together. We want to get these crazy kids together. And if you also want to get these crazy kids together, it's very possible to have Dale Cruz as an NPC in Cardicus, rather than as a Dark Lord. And if you're going to do that, then this whole, like, he's a ghost, and Mm -hmm. there are a whole bunch of ghosts that come and visit once a year. That doesn't really work in Cardicus. But there is... A thing in the older Not material. This idea. <laughs> it, where you why do vampires do now? They like give you levels of exhaustion or something. I don't, I don't know. Know. Anyway, in the older stuff, it was ability drains, and they would, and there were you know vampires. They usually drained con, but like some of them would drain dex, and some of them would you know, cerebral vampires would drain int, and then there was a kind of vampire that drained charisma. Was, so you could have these vampires that drain charisma. And De La Cruz is one of them. And he doesn't even have to have, like, been bitten by a vampire or anything, because we've mentioned several times that you've got kind of the evil characters who are sort of cursed by the dark powers not to be full Mm -hmm. dark lords, but to have their inner evil kind of manifesting on their outside. So you could have it be that De La Cruz is one of these, and the dark powers are feeling especially cursed. Yeah, yeah. And so since he stole 
Petra's songs and everything is he gets cursed to be one of these charisma vampires and so he's just kind of constantly feeding on and draining the charisma of others. And you can do a lot of this core dynamic we've set up where he's got this reputation, he's famous, but it's all a fraud, and he's just like tooling around meeting young perspective bards and offering them lessons and draining their charisma and stealing their songs and a lot of that sort of core conceit you don't need to have the whole mm-hmm. santa cecilia domain dark lordness he can just be a charisma vampire and then harkon lucas hires you to expose or kill him and laughs his head off the entire time you do it and this would be a great way to like have your pc suddenly then have a big in with harkon lucas mm-hmm. like he owes them a huge favor he's really happily disposed to them They've done him this huge like thing that made him super happy. <laughs> Just made his made week. Made his week. <laughs> so if, if you want to do a bigger Cardicus story, but you also want to have a Disney Easter egg, <laughs> then this is a cool way to do both those things. Yeah. So, alternative De La Cruz. Wandering, you know, guitar strumming, <laughs> charisma vampire Disney Easter egg in Cardicus. So Cardicus is one half of our ghost bard Dark Lord. The bard half. <laughs> the other half of our ghost bard Dark Lord, the ghost half, we can get from Mordant. And with Mordant, it's not so much like a specific like plot connection or even thematic connection, because like they have ghosts in common, but really that's the only thing that I'm Mordant... pretty sure they're ghosts like in every domain. Yeah, yeah. But Morden is really where we get access to a bunch of the older ghost material, mm-hmm. and a lot of that could be very fruitful for uh, for adapting into this uh, Santa Cecilia setting. Because one thing with this whole idea of De La Cruz doing the charisma drain, that actually connects kind of to the way that Godfrey was in 3rd edition. I, I checked, he didn't do this yet in 2nd edition. Um, but one of the ways that they kind of beefed him up in 3rd edition was that they gave him this cane that had charisma drain to it. And in the older material, bingo, hmm. um, actually specifically in 3rd edition, uh, ghosts were powered by charisma. That kind of the the idea that it was their, their force of will was what gave them their power. And like there were different power levels of ghosts and the higher power level ghosts had higher charisma because it, it makes sense. You right, know, yeah. Force of personality. Like if you have a really forceful personality, you're going to leave a stronger imprint on the world than, than a weaker personality is. But that has a real narrative logic to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I believe I, I just double-checked Van Richten's Guide to Ghosts before recording this. I don't think there was a charisma link in second edition. If there was, please feel free to add me. Mm-hmm. Um, you were invited to add us. You were invited us. to add us if I'm incorrect on this. But I I don't. I know that they did have different ranks of ghosts. I don't think it was specifically linked to charisma until third edition. But so Godfrey had this cane and you know you had the whole that he was controlling all of the ghosts in Mordant and everything and the way that he was able to do this was through this cane that he would threaten to beat them with and that would suck their vitality away give it to him and just eventually turn them into just these kind of wisps of you know of, of spirits wandering around that aren't able to even impact anything with their ghost powers so that's something you know if you, if you wanted to kind of take some of that like ghost charisma power system if you wanted to kind of port that over from third edition you could do that really easily to kind of be diving into some of the mechanical effects of what de la cruz is doing to these ghosts and the great thing is you know a lot of times when i say go and look for this older material stuff Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of like okay great i guess i have to either like pirate it or find it on ebay for you know two hundred dollars because grave enough is a tier one boy howdy yeah right but there's a basic guide to the ghost stuff in 
the Ravenloft 3 campaign setting, which is on DMs go for print on demand. Yeah, it's so bizarre what things, like, it must be a legal thing. Yeah. Like, what a rights thing. Like, what things are and are not mm-hmm. on DMs Guild from the third edition Ravenloft mm-hmm. era. And by aren't it's almost all of the line. But the core book is. So, yes. boom, you got access to that. And if you go to the DM's appendix in the core book, it's got basic stuff for the Ravenloft monsters, including special powers for ghosts and how to link that to their charisma. So, fly, be free. (laughs) (laughs) So that could be some fun stuff. You could read that, and that could be some cool powers you could give to De La Cruz or even some of the other ghosts in uh, Ghost Town. Mm -hmm. So let's finish our discussion of this ghost bard and the domain centered around both ghosts and music (laughs) that he is the domain lord of, let's talk about some of the strengths and challenges of doing a game in Santa Cecilia. So, strengths. Skeletons! Yay, skeletons! It is a literal city of skeletons. I think uh, there's a lot of strengths here. This Mm -hmm. is, number one, skeletons. Number two, this is one of the only things I could think of, especially with Ravenloft, where you actually could have kind of a journey to the land of the dead. Mm-hmm. And that's like a really interesting sort of ghost story, horror flavored thing to do with your PCs. But it's also like specifically the land of the dead in Santa Cecilia. So you don't have to like mess with the metaphysics of the entire setting that you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, just this village. You can go to this village's underworld. And this is a different kind of ghost story because it is, once again, you're not just going into the haunted house and waiting and waiting for the ghost to appear and talk to them. You can, like, walk through the cemetery, through the marigold petals, and go and knock on the ghost door and have a conversation with the ghost <laughs> and, like, hang out with them. I also think that that whole Day of the Dead thing, I think that we keep coming back to that as this critical, like, narrative thing because it does give you this really cool ticking clock that I think sort of the adventure writes itself of... Whatever your adventure is, it's centered around interacting with the dead. You basically have three nights when you can do that. And I think that that already is going to really help add urgency and add structure to your adventure. And finally, I think with De La Cruz, we have a really great hateable villain. Yeah. Like your PCs are going to love getting a large family to throw tomatoes. To throw eight tomatoes at him. <laughs> They're going to love embarrassing him or thwarting him or stopping him from getting a new song or restoring a song that he stole, especially if they either haven't seen Coco or you change the names or they're really good role players and he's actually able to, like, charm them. Mm -hmm. You get the full Miguel of they're actually very charmed by De La Cruz at first and he is very charming. And then they realize what a horrible person he is. They're going to really love thwarting him. And they're really, I think, going to love if you have a Hector analog. Like, especially if they have seen Coco, they're Uh really going to love saving this Hector analog. Yes, yes. That's just, that's going to feel real good. So those are the strengths. I think there's a lot of them. I think this is a really strong setting with a really cool, thematic, unique adventure for your pieces to go on. But what are some of the challenges, Rachel? Well... As usual, De La Cruz being such a great, hateable villain is kind of a double-edged sword, because he is the absolute worst, and if you want to do the whole Ravenloft plot armor thing, then you can't overthrow him, you're stuck with him being the absolute worst. Like, if you want to have it be, you know, continuity, schmontinuity, like my PCs can do Uh, whatever they want, because it's not like they're coming back to Santa Cecilia, they can can wreck him. They can give Strahd a copy of, (laughs) and, and just show him the light, so to speak. Even the dark powers 
cower in terror and obedience at the DM. Yes. <laughs> There's kind of the same challenge as we were talking about with Princess and the Frog, mm-hmm. that if you are a table that's, you know, like all non-Latino, Latina people, and you're trying to do this, then it might be a little awkward. Like you noticed in Toy Story, when we were doing our Lotto impressions, we were doing the big, broad Lotto accents. We yeah, did not do David Freer's accents. So kind of the like... When does, like, doing the voice, right, like, yeah. when, when, when is it, like, icky? When is it immersive? Like, how much research are you going to do? Do you want it to, like, be Day of the Dead-esque, but not Day of the Dead, but is that appropriation? Like, you, know, you, you, might, you might be just kind of nodding your head going, yes, 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 whatever, right. I know what's good with my table. And that's great. But it is, you know, a, like a challenge. Our job is to point yes. this out. Our job is to point out that this, this might be a challenge for your table. This might be a challenge for you personally. If you feel, you know, if you feel weird about it. You do have the option, kind of like we talked about with Dr. Facilier and Voodoo and Princess and the Frog, to bring back Princess and the Frog. You can just take out all the specific cultural stuff mm-hmm. and just have it be, it's Skeleton Town. <laughs> and on the three-day Skeleton Festival, they, the bridge between the land of the dead opens up and just remove a lot of the aesthetic signifiers. Mm-hmm. And maybe like specific Spanish cultural, like like vocabulary cultural things like ofrendas. Mm-hmm. And it's just like... There's this village, and there's this land of the dead, and they and it's like that can just be a completely like reference-free Dungeons and Dragons nonsense metaphysics mm-hmm. village that you go to. And then you know, conversely, if your table is like our table, and we're like, oh boy, an excuse to do research, then this can be like you know something that gets you to go and do research into other cultures that are not your own, which is always a good thing. So you know, you're. I've learned a lot about the golden age of Mexican cinema in my research <laughs> on De La Cruz's uh, inspiration, the actual people that were strong inspiration for De La Cruz. <laughs> For example. So once it, you, you you listening to this probably know which way you would be mm-hmm. leaning if you were to run Coco, but it is our job to tell you the challenges, so that is that is one of them. When you're not doing Day of the Dead, there's not as much to do. Like you do have some potential for some cool ghost stories, mm-hmm. but really the main meat of the adventure revolves around this three day period, and so that means you can't really have a Barovia Curse of Strahd situation mm-hmm. where you're really playing out all the possibilities. As so often occurs, the strengths and weaknesses are mirror images of each other. That, like, specifically the three days when the action happens are, I think, a very good strength from narrative construction and from building your adventure, but they're also a weakness because they are a limitation on the fun you're going to have and, like, what you can really do to get the full full story and the full theme and flavor of Santa Cecilia. Mm Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think, you know, overall, like, I think there aren't a lot of weaknesses. I think uh-huh. this, is, this is a solid setting. As you know, once again, even with the weakness of Day of the Dead, if you want to say that it's Month of the Dead, yeah, yeah, exactly. then you can, you know, you can overcome that. Even more powerful than us, the authors of this <laughs> setting write-up, is the DM. Yes. So, before we rejoin our narrator and find out what presumably non-underworld... <laughs> centric location she's going to next. Uh, if they do decide they want to change Day of the Dead to Month of the Dead, how can they let us know that they have overturned our restrictions? Or if you want to at me about Venerick's Yes, yes. Which, uh, I didn't see anything about charisma, but let me know. Well, you can email us at wonderfulworldofdarklords at gmail.com. 
You can find us on Facebook or Tumblr at Wonderful Worlds Dark Lords. And on Patreon, for whatever reason, Wonderful World of Dark Lords was taken. I don't know what was going on there. We are Wonderful World of Dark Lords 651. It's our multiverse designation. <laughs> and all the others. If you listen to one of the others, you would get a different multiverse branch of this podcast. <laughs> so, you know. Search for us, find the Maleficent handhold, and be Yeah, it's pretty clear. We got, we got a good logo. Yeah. It's, you Thanks, Daylight. Yes, hello, thank you. And if you like how we took this movie, how we adapted it into what we both think is a pretty cool setting, uh, we have a couple of things on DMs Guild. I've adapted some horror movies into Ravenloft Adventures. Uh, we just got a new one up last month that's our mm-hmm. big Toy Story adventure, so not quite a horror movie, but. As much of a horror movie as we could get out of Toy Story. And uh, if you just search for Tom Kohler, if you go to the write-up for this from the show notes and just look for more by this author, you'll find those. We also, if you like how we thought about doing this with younger players, giving them a fun Coco experience, it's not a full of existential horror, then we also have some resources for running spookier-themed stuff like Curse of Strahd for younger players, which are pretty good, and you should read them. And then speaking of younger people, uh, I have a picture book called Mother Ghost Nursery Rhymes for Little Monsters. It's exactly what it sounds like, and it is perfect for spooky season. So that is available wherever books are sold. Uh, you can also go to my website, www.rachelcolor.com, and find some of the short stories that I've written for adults, none of which are about Day of the Dead. But mm-hmm. see, see the challenge section. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so until next time. Well, we're back next month with a domain, because now we're back into our groove, our regular year groove. But until that next time, thank you for listening, and happy gaming. Parting thoughts. Compared to the past few domains I visited, my time in Santa Cecilia was uneventful. But I find myself pondering the City of the Dead and all that it implies. If the memories of the living can affect the dead, when the dead and dying make promises to watch over the living, if they fail to do so, is it because they've abandoned the living, or because the living do not properly remember them? But does that mean the living are meant to pay court to ghosts who do nothing to acknowledge them, like like a human calling after an indifferent cat, rather than focusing on those who are still alive? Part of me continues to envy the people of Santa Cecilia for having such easy access to their beloved dead. But of course, the rightfully hated dead have access to them as well. At any rate, my next destination is likely to be less fertile ground for such philosophical musings. As I held my clockwork mist talisman, I wondered what I would encounter in the foggy streets that were dominated by a genius twisted for evil, the world's greatest criminal mind. Regards, D. Magic is and always shall be a means to an end. It is not meant to replace one's ability to think and formulate solutions to everyday problems. Problems that will be better solved through cunning and deception than by blindly following spiritual cats to previously obtained knowledge. This cat's revelation is of no consequence and of no surprise. After all, Santa Cecilia lives on memories, and much like De La Cruz, rarely produces anything original. The beliefs held in Santa Cecilia bring to mind the obscure religion of the ancestral choir that emerged in Cardicus, 
Cardigans believe that when they die, their spirit joins the ancestral choir. Those whose deeds are remembered have louder voices in this choir, while those who lived in obscurity find their voices drowned out. Perhaps it was here that De La Cruz formulated his plan to live on in Santa Cecilia, for there is no doubt that his voice would have been drowned out by far more accomplished singers had he remained in Gardicus. One wonders how many songs De La Cruz acquired as Meister Singer of Harmonia before Harkon saw fit to chase him out. The empty promise whispered on the lips of the dying to live on in another's memories is fulfilled within Santa Cecilia and carried forward as a sacred pact between the living and the dead. But for what purpose? Though I suspect De La Cruz to be as genuine as his musical talents, obtaining direct access to this celebrity would have been the simplest way to confirm the theories alluded to in my servant's report. As is, I am left with speculations. If one is remembered perfectly, and by many, do they have a chance at a second life? Or are they merely lingering, holding on to empty dreams as all ghosts do? Undeath is not life. No matter how flamboyant it may be, and seizing a single moment for all eternity is not a feat to be envied. This has been The Wonderful World of Dark Lords. We have no affiliation with Disney or Wizards of the Coast. All music recordings used in this episode are on the public domain and were obtained through museopen.org. Titles and links are in the show notes. Dialogue for Yensid was written by Azalyn Rex himself, who you can follow on Tumblr at DarkLordAzalyn. The Wonderful World of Dark Lords logo was designed by Haylight Jones. You can find links to their work in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, look for us on Patreon.com or find our tip jar on Red Circle. Thanks for listening! I just got cat claws right in my ribs. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) We might have our snare. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And with De La Cruz, it's a similar thing. She's over there. She's looking for it. Okay. I thought I heard her behind me. It's like horror movie. (laughs) Where is she? (laughs) I'll show you. Yeah, if you if you say we're gonna play Coco, and then it's just like a bunch of living people in yes. Astrid Cruz <laughs> doing mariachi music, and then like cat putting her mouth on the God, mic. She's in a tonight. <laughs> She's Let ma- us podcast. She's mad at us because we were talking about doing Coraline for our Halloween mm. episode, but then decided that since it's not a Disney movie, we shouldn't. And she, I think I think we'll she's feeling off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so stay tuned. Possibility for April. Yeah. Right. <laughs>